Yep. And we are recording. We are recording the live stream recording of our podcast commences now. <laughs> oh, God. I have a different uh, copyright free playlist today. Oh, yeah? So, sounds, sounds a little, a little different. Yeah. yeah, it sounds a little more upbeat. Sounds very anime-like. All right, so we are live. We are live. Okay, let me go get the link. Put that in the uh, post for the website. Excuse me. Folks, if you are hearing us live on YouTube and or Facebook and or Twitter, we will begin in a moment. I'll be right back. Take your time. And as usual, we are given our food almost three minutes uh, cook-off time for um, YouTube to figure out that we're streaming and go ahead and spin that up and start streaming because what's happened in the past is we start recording and uh, we just launch right into the show. And then later on, when we go to uh, see our content, it, it just, it, we're missing the first 90 seconds of the stream. So that has taught us to fiddle around for a minute until all the YouTubes make connections with the tubes, in the tubes. Because the internet is a series of tubes. According to YouTube, we are live now. If you're just joining us on Facebook, uh, I see we have a couple of viewers on, on YouTube even. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and start the regular show in just a moment. Remember, remember to not forget. Definitely don't forget. Yeah, I kind of remember I forgot. <laughs> All right, so. Um, we are live on YouTube. Sweet. And remember to, uh, I guess we should do introductions first. I was going to jump into Patreon first. But I'll backtrack a little bit. My name is Rob. I am your host and comrade. Uh, you are listening to the weekly current event stream from For We Are Many podcast. Well, my name is Dean, and I am grateful to be here. Thanks to Rob's good countenance, favor, and and leadership. We are here to bring you whatever we can. We will make your day better or worse. Hopefully better. Even just a little bit. Even if we just make you laugh at a joke, 
That's it. That's my goal. That's my hole. Um. So. Put you with the bad and bring the bring you back with the good. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, if you haven't yet, you can check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash forwearemany. Um, we can't do this without you and without your support. So, we're always going to plug that at the start of the show. You got uh, anything, Dean? No, uh, we're just about, uh, we'll be live on the website. You know, eventually we'll start streaming from forwearemany.org. Um, no, I wouldn't say exclusively, but we're going to start experimenting with moving the conversation there. In the meantime, once we get all of our, uh, once we get all our streaming things and, and our various things connected and everything recording and our everything presenting the way that it's supposed to, and we're actually podcasting, then we'll come to the, we'll come to the Facebook page and continue the conversation there, which I will be in the comments in one moment. But we are we are uh, we are live on the website too. I am just now plugging my phone in. It's at four <laughs> percent. I did the same thing. There we go. All right. So I also am going to the comments right now. Uh, now that I've hit the publish button, everything goes out on social media, and now I'm heading to the comments myself. All right. James and Natalie are already there. Hello. I'm super glad to see you both. Yep. Loyal, faithful, watchful. Um, so I guess uh, now's a good time to point out that our first uh, movie watch along is going to be Thursday. Um, actually, Dean, I need to talk to you about that. Uh, probably not on the air, but I'm not going to be able to uh, physically attend it like I had anticipated. You mean, so, oh yeah, you might not be able to be on the show? Yeah, so what I can do... We could pre-record. That's what I was going to say. If there's any way that we can pre-record, yeah, um, then that's an option. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can we could pre-record. Wednesday's my son's thirteenth birthday, my youngest son, so that's probably out. But we could pre-record tomorrow night. Um, it'll have to be late for me to make it, but yeah, like what time? Uh, probably ten-ish. Ten or after? Yeah, yeah, that'll work. I can do that. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk more about that off the air, though. Anyway, no, we I don't be... mind. I think let's show them how the sausage is made. I, I feel like it's not disinteresting. I mean, it's not uninteresting. <laughs> I think these people like to hear how we do it. I mean, maybe they'll figure out that it's not tough and they can do it too. That's that's very fair, honestly. Um, so I guess while we're on this topic, I just want to say that I have taken the liberty of pre-watching it because I've been told by multiple people it's a really good movie. And it is. Um, I, I had the joy of pre-watching it. I'm really excited for this event. That's why I was kind of upset. I think I'm getting a three-day weekend next weekend, though. So oh, it's, yeah, it's Easter, right? Yeah. Yeah, you should be off. Oh, yeah, so you might have Friday off, huh? Well, no, it won't be Friday, 
but it'll be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday instead of Monday and Thursday. <laughs> uh, Leanne asked what the movie is about. That's a fair question. Uh, the Chicago Seven um, were seven different people from three different groups that were arrested after a an anti-war protest turned into a riot. Um, the police responded with brutal force, of course, as you would expect. And um, the court tried to make examples out of them, but ultimately I would say it backfired. I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but... In case you haven't seen it, I mean, you, the real-life events are there, and, and, we, and, you know, those are... Those are known, but this is Aaron Sorkin, right? This is the Aaron Sorkin edition, the Netflix version. The next, the Netflix version, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I will. I will uh, check out I, this shirt, though. Oh yeah, yeah. That is uh, that's the that's the movie. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, ironically, I've seen this, but we we I'm ready to stream it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really solid story, and um, it actually happened. Of course, you know we didn't have seven million video cameras in every fucking courtroom of every major trial in the '60s, but um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to maybe compare how the judge acted towards these activists and Bobby Seale, who was the eighth member of the Chicago Seven. He shouldn't have even been there. They they put him there to intimidate the jury. Correct. Um, so yeah, so Bobby Seale was the eighth member of the Chicago seven. Where was I going with this? I don't know. I feel like I had something smart to say, but it's, gone. you're going wherever you damn well <laughs> feel like going. Fair. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's good. I, uh, uh oh, I thought yeah. it was good. I remember I was going to say we can like, you know, kind of like compare how the judge acted towards these activists compared to how the judge acts towards Derek Chauvin, who actually literally killed a man. And we watched uh, we watched that happen over and over, which we'll, I'm sure, discuss later on in the show. But in the meantime, in the meantime, uh, I do uh, I do want to kind of give the folks listening uh, now and in future kind of a kind of a heads up as to how this will go right we'll 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 uh we'll screen the movie and we'll make commentary almost like uh non-functional director's commentary as the movie goes <laughs> you know and uh you're uh you know we'll give you a mark point you know and you can load up if you have a netflix account you can load it up on your end if you don't um I would suggest you you use a secure browser and Google uh, the trial of the Chicago Seven streaming online, and you will find a place to watch it if you do not have a Netflix account. Um, that's but anyway, you will watch along good. with us, and you will be able to you will be able to sync your version of the movie as we watch ours, and as we make commentary, it'll make sense, you know, and. Uh, in future, uh, we may even queue this up on 
a watch together platform or maybe Twitch or, or one, some other platform where we can all actually watch together and interact all together live. For this version of it, I think what you what we're doing is smarter. Yeah, I think in the future it'd be really cool to have a Zoom call with fucking thirty people in it. <laughs> uh, you know, it would be together, it, but it would be uh, it would be. I know that Zoom is uh, pretty good with the auto part. It's the video part that it stutters. Yeah, it's better if you're able to watch on your own internet connection than have us in your ear, um, and then uh, you can watch what we're watching as we see it, and then the comments will be there in, in context. So that's um, how that works. We'll see how it plays out and if we all have fun. So Natalie said, "I'm excited to watch it. I shared it to some groups, and I read a few comments saying there was, or and there was a few uh, saying it's not very factual. Anyone know the stats on that?" Now yeah, I haven't it, I, I haven't looked up the very specific um things that I've read that are not completely factual. I'm sure they took some artistic liberty with it. I mean, come on, you have to. It's fucking Hollywood. Or well, it's Netflix, but you get my point. However, there are quite a few facts in it, such as the attorney in the case getting 24 counts of contempt of court. Um other than that, I I don't know the specific breakdown, but it is based on events that actually happened. They actually have footage from the events of 1968 uh, it, through the movie as well. Correct. I, I think it's a good movie. I think it stands on its own uh, merit for the most part. Um, yes, there are some factual issues, some pretty bad ones. And I don't want to, you know, discuss too much of the movie before we watch it because we're going to watch it and then we're going to either rip it to shreds or we're going to praise it. Probably in my Probably case, it'll be a little both. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would like, I honestly would just focus, I would personally, the way that I got through it, you know, knowing about the story, knowing about those people who they all eventually became, the ones that lived. Um. I just kind of, I focused on the merit of the performances or the portrayal of the characters themselves, the people themselves. You know, I liked whoever played uh, Abby Hoffman was great. Whoever played Tom Hayden was great. Uh, so if I keep it to that, if, if I just let the story tell, let the man, meaning Aaron Sorkin, tell the story as he sees it, it's fine. If I start to match it up with reality, because you know there's no spoilers it's a depiction of what actually happened and, and any of us can read and, and study and 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 form opinions about actual past events you know which ultimately i think was the point of the movie i mean okay so a little bit of perspective i don't know as much about the initial actions as i should uh i i would say most of my generation probably doesn't um, so for people my age, it's going to be really hard to pick apart fact from truth in that. It is right. It is. And, and, uh, I feel like they had Bobby the, Seals character way too held back. I don't disagree with you. That's, that's pretty much true of all of them. And the whole entire thing, all those generate that entire generation of activists. I mean, from these guys, you know, and then what eventually evolved to be the weathermen. 
and the, the obviously the underlying example that were the the Black Panthers led, these people were way more willing to to commit to their cause than uh, it's kind of shocking when you when you take it all in. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed that like in in the intros of the movie, you know, for like Bobby Seal to be in the L.A. headquarters of the Black Panthers saying, oh, I don't need to take a gun. Oh, I'm just going to be there for four hours. Sure, he was just going to be there for four hours. I doubt he was that chill going into giving a speech in front of who knows how many thousands of people in a park that he's never been to in Chicago and he knows that the feds are after him. He's not going to be calm in that situation. Yeah, that's a bit weird. I agree. I agree. And and Abby Hoffman was literally a genius anarchist, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that being said, I'm glad that we have you on the panel for this because, well, no offense, Dean, you're a little bit older. I know that you're, yeah. well, I know that yeah. you're pretty well read and you seem to have a lot of insight into these events before we even watch the movie. So I think that's going to be crucial. <laughs> Well, and I and I my my really hope that I don't color the. Uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to salt the earth, you know. I don't want people to. I don't want to uh, read into anything. I don't want to lead the conversation with my view either, you know. Just because I'm older and I'm a little closer to the actual events, you know, a lot of my youth was shaped by the behavior of these people, you know. Well, yeah, but I th I think that's too important to leave out. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. You know, for I'll, I'll I don't mind if you don't mind diverting. I don't mind for a second talking about what that, how that, what, what the, how that affected me personally. And one of the reasons you're talking to me now is because that drive to to be involved, to try to instantiate change, to try to help, has never left me. I mean, that's how you and I met uh, right. a decade ago. Um, part Crazy of that to is, think that was that long ago. I know, isn't that nuts? Part of a third of your life ago. A part of me still needs and wants to try to 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 make good, you know, to try to help and contribute and, and try to move the needle. But the big, greater part of me that still is I identify as a socialist, and I used to write that down. I mean, people, when canvassers or, or or petitioners would ask me what party I'm in, I'd say socialist, and they would actually pull away from me. You know, <laughs> holy shit! Like, I'm not even sure it's legal for you to say that. You know, and it was a really bad thing to say, and it was part of these guys. These guys, you know, I we fought, we fought against uh, when I was very young as a teenager. Um, I had an atypical upbringing as a young white teenager male and i grew up in an all-black neighborhood and i had friends and and, and i had uh, neighbors and and very close ties to that community and so i felt like uh growing up it, i had a i had a i had a responsibility to represent so when you know as a part of of uh you know, under underground or countercultural scenes around Flint and especially the Detroit and Ann Arbor area, uh, skinheads weren't maybe their skinheads with secret hand signals or secret haircuts. Maybe they're fascists based on uh, who they voted for or how they identify on social media. They were literally 
Nazis. They wore Nazi uniforms. They they had Nazi outfits on, and they tried to kick heads in as Nazis. Yeah, yeah. We fought actually, them hand to hand, you know, and that was because um, of the Chicago Seven that I was able to. So, time out. Are you talking about like the early days of the anti the anti racist alliance, which is today known as the anti fascist alliance, or was it before even be- that? even before that? Even before that, there was a uh, there was wow, a, Dean, you're old. <laughs> I'm 54 on April 4th. My birthday was four, five, six, seven. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So no, you're even... you're less than a year younger than my dad. Oh wow. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And I think you're younger than by far than my oldest. But uh, the uh, no. Hi Emily. A, there... Hi Austin. Hi Emily. Hi Austin. I wish you were here, Austin. Want to see how your beard's progressing? <laughs> uh, that said, Rob, I do think of you as a pure. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're, you're, you're many, many years my elder, Dean. <laughs> yep. No, but I, I mean, in, in terms of an atypical upbringing, when I was 17 and I, okay, so like, I don't know if you're familiar with my hometown at all. Tawas is 1,200 Tawas, people. yeah. Yep. And it's like 99.2% white when I was a kid. Now it's yep. like 98% white. But anyway, so the point is, is I moved from Tawas to Flint when I was 17. And talk about culture shock, dude. <laughs> Holy shit. That's literally jumping in the cold water. Like that is such yeah. a all-encompassing. It touches every part of your life change. Yeah. And well, and and it's not like I moved to like, you know, the area around Kettering or something. I moved to fucking, I was living on Minnesota Avenue between or like right off of Welch and Chevrolet. I know where that is very well. Yeah. I mean, actually it's really sad to walk through that neighborhood today or two years ago. There's not much left of it. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. There's maybe a one, I'd say one out of hot five or one out of seven houses is left. Yeah. Yeah, which is really sad because, like, when I lived there, don't get me wrong, it was really sketchy at times, but, like, it was an active neighborhood. There was yep. families in every home. Yep. Yep, that's when the that's when the uh, elementaries were still going, Eisenhower and and uh, um, uh, the high school, or, uh, sorry, Northern was still going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I went there... But two years ago, I think it was just to kind of see, you know, like, what does the neighborhood look like? I was in the area, you know, and I, I was appalled, man, honestly, like there was nobody on their porch. They're like, literally every yard is overgrown and almost every house is empty. I'm just like, what the fuck happened? Did you, uh, did you go to Mont Middle? No, I did not. I, um, where'd you go to high school? (laughs) <laughs> well, Tawas, but I got my GED through the oh, uh, oh, okay. Army National so, Guard. So you didn't have to actually go to, uh, you didn't actually have to go to high school, high school in Flint. No. Got it. Nope. I uh, dropped out, moved to Flint, um, had a brief stint with the National Guard where I got <laughs> my GED, and um, then I ended up back in Flint just in time for Occupy to start pretty much. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and the Occupy, uh, you know, I know that we've talked about this, maybe some folks who weren't on this show 
uh, or haven't heard this from us uh, who've listened to the show. Uh, Rob was one of the core core members, key members of Occupy Flint, which held an occupation longer than any other city in the United States and without incident in the most dangerous city in the country. <coughs> and in some cases, statistically, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the crazy part about it is, uh, I mean, we had a couple issues, you know, with like drug addicts trying to like do stupid shit, but, um, that's no different we, than the rest of Flint. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is like, we, the cops never had to come to the camp because of shit we were doing. In fact, they never had to come to the camp at all. When they did show up, we asked them politely to leave. Um, <laughs> but and I think that they would drive by and do wellness just to see, you know, if everything was cool or not. And I think they talked to people as individuals. What you guys up there? Yep. Everything okay? Yep. Everything's fine. And then they they were fine because honestly, we 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 were not bringing anything down or causing any problems. In fact, on the contrary, as I like to say always, we raised thousands of dollars. We sent dozens of people out to collect petitions to demonstrate, and we've. And we and we uh, we fundraised uh, almost five thousand pounds of food that was donated to local charities. Yeah, yeah. So we left the pile, in my opinion, higher than we found it. We left the lot in a better shape than we found it. <laughs> Leanne said, "Don't forget about Revolution Che Occupuppy. That is that is my dog that is snoozing on the floor that's, behind me. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the, the best and longest lasting legacy. <laughs> she said he's a key member too. Damn right. He is <laughs> whenever, whenever like the cops or the media or anybody would ask who our leader was because, you know, they still can't concept the idea of a leaderless movement. We would always say revolution. Che Occupy. And they'd be like writing hilarious. it down. I remember. <laughs> they I write it down. <laughs> Oh I remember God. one time Emmett was talking to a cop. It was when we got arrested. It was at the Flint jail. Yeah, it was, in, <laughs> it was downtown. That wasn't even at the camp. Yeah, that yep. wasn't even at the camp. We got we got arrested at a protest. Maybe one day we'll tell that story. It's not that relevant. But we were in the booking area at the Flint jail. And um, they kept asking us for our names. And basically, we told us, like, well, when we get our attorney, you'll get your names. They didn't like that. Um, but they kept asking who the leader of the occupation was and Emmett's like, okay, dude, okay, dude, you got me. I'll tell you. And then he's like revolution. And the dude's writing it down in his notepad revolution, Che Occupuppy. And the dude just stops and looks at him. Like, are you fucking with me right now? And he's just like, no dude, seriously, he's got four legs and fur, but he's our leader. <laughs> he decided to appoint him the, uh, eternal gourd keeper. I still think that he's down to eat the rich. I agree. Yep. I agree. Yeah. The, if you hear me making jokes about, I have the gourd or the gourd at, at one point we took a cue from, uh, from uh, uh, Ducati park. They would uh, in a very procedural way, they would, uh, they had a, had a talking stick and, and, and those, if you had the stick, it was your turn to talk. If you didn't have the stick, you keep your mouth shut. We couldn't find it. Well, the only thing we could find was I had, I had a, I had, not even shitting you, man. I had a uh, 
Halloween had either was either coming or it had happened. It, it was coming, yeah. I had a gourd in <laughs> in a cabinet. And I grabbed it, and that became the that became the thing we held it. If we had uh, if we had the floor to speak, you know, oh, it's so funny. If there's certain people that if you say talking gourd, they'll just start laughing. Trisha's probably one of them. She'll be joining us she late is. today. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I miss I miss like the first half of the occupation. Did you? I thought for some reason I had it in my mind you were I do remember you coming on when it was super cold. I came in the first time was the end of the first week. And then I came back two days later and never left. Yeah, and you stayed through the worst months. You built you you built up and built out. Uh bear in mind, folks, I mean we these folks build their their own sustainable sanitation teams, their power teams. We we at one point we were on one hundred percent solar powered, with battery backups yep. to store power, to 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 have power during the nighttime. Well, shit. If you want to get a little bit more detailed in that, we uh, <laughs> Leanne said Rev never bit a man that didn't need biting. Exactly. He's down to eat the rich. <laughs> No. Anyway, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> that just Never got bit me so nobody. Off topic. Period. Yep. He, Never uh, bit anybody. Period. And I like your shirt, by the way. Oh, thanks. He, uh, we rather we had a a rolling solar array with batteries on it yep. that we fucking took down to the protest to charge cell phones and laptops. Yo, that was uh, Charles and uh, a, a older guy that I sent into camp who was a mad genius and uh, they kind of designed that on the fly. And then was it Charles? Wasn't that his name? Yeah. Reverend Charles. Yeah. He, he basically refined it down to the point where we could almost productize it. We had the, we had the, the main, the main occupy, what was it? Occupy technic tech occupy some, Oh man. From Ducati park, the guys that were in charge of the tech team, they, we had we gave them our designs how we created it and they and they duplicated it yeah yeah and then uh, of course Jay came in that's uh, right yep yeah and well him and Bob came in about the same time as I recall that was right close to the beginning too Jay might have been there before me actually Jay was and Bob was too Marsha and Bob yeah, Marsha and Bob were there fucking day, day one. one. Weren't they? Yeah. Minus day one when we first met at the Venus in Grand Blaine. The wow. very first meeting they were at. Yep. yep. <laughs> John, Johnny said, I was at Zuccotti Park. What was it, a decade ago? Yeah, that's what we're talking about, man. We're Zuccotti kind of, Park, yeah. yeah. We're kind of reliving our Occupy days. Um, but I mean, Bob, honestly, you're talking about how, how we built and we designed and built this fucking fortress in the middle of Flint, but really it was Jay and Bob that designed it. We all put some work into making it happen, but Jay and Bob were the geniuses with the fucking, (laughs) the plan. I had never seen anybody do the things they were doing. I didn't know that you could take you could you, you could build walls out of literal bales of straw and they would be insulatory and highly functional as shelter right yeah i had same. no idea I mean, they taught me a lot and and i've been around the block bob and i were about the same age
Um, Johnny says Johnny says really good music, and the late Kevin Zeese was there too. What a great man he was! I wish I could have went to Zuccotti Park, honestly. I didn't go either, but I talked to him, but I didn't go. I watched a lot of live streams. I watched a lot of live streams out of Oakland too. I remember they busted up the encampment, and the next night Black Block came back, and you know they had shields and. That happened in Detroit, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it happened for weeks in Oakland, though. Yep, night after night, they'd get swept out, burn out, thrown up, thrown out, beat up. And then be right back at it the next day like nothing ever happened. It Like the, what's the word I'm looking for? The perseverance was incredible to Tenacity. witness. Tenacity. That is the word I was looking for, tenacity. So that's how, I mean, I came up, they shaped my, uh, they shaped my, they shaped my perception, like what to accept and what not to accept, what to question and what not to question, you know, which is why I, you know, if you, if you come about wondering about these processes, wondering about these procedures, these laws, these leaders, you start to you start to drift into a so uh, uh, not away from socialism, but I started to drift into a libertarian <laughs> mindset. Same. You know, I loved Occupy as a libertarian. Uh, we were very libertarian heavy at that point. Well, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I think there was at some point probably Charles was flying a Gadsden flag. Maybe it was you. Right no, right the, no, no, no. The Gadsden flag that the General Assembly tried to ban was Jay's, and Jay was just oh, like, was Jay's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was a whole ass drama fest that night because somebody brought that up and Jay heard it. He wasn't even in the GA. He didn't care about the politics part of it. He just wanted to be to be there to speak his mind, pretty much. Yeah, and be included, right? I know. I know. Uh, the Johnny, yes, our organization does generally agree with the Second Bill of Rights. Um, it should have been passed in the 40s when it was brought up. And no, I am not a right-wing libertarian anymore. Well, that's just it, right? That's one of the reasons I think that people take exception to that notion is because you do get, instead of Ducati Park, instead of uh, the enablement of the powerless, you get Ammon Bundy and people like that in their minds. And, and, and it has become a container for neo-fascists. Uh, Natalie um, g- got to this comment before I did because I skipped ahead of it um, because it was on topic. But Johnny asked, when will I get the chance to elaborate on my strategy for revolution on your podcast? Natalie told him to reach out to us directly. Um, you can message the page. You can email us. Um, comments Join probably me. aren't the, the the best option, but... Uh, like let's let's get you on soon. We talked about this before, and then I haven't seen you in a while. I don't know if we just didn't match up on schedules or what, but let's figure it out, dude. What were you saying, Dean? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just continuing with, uh, you know, the the notion of what what shaped my uh, my I, I would guess resistance brain and the Chicago seven had a great deal to do with that, you know, to stand up against racism, to stand up against, you know, uh, corporate uh, malfeasance, 
to stand up against war. Especially yeah. to stand up against war. The funny thing is, is that was so far from what Occupy was, but talking to, I don't remember his name. Do you remember his name? The old man with the stickers? The guy that was out through the entire Iraq war on the corner of Miller. Oh and- yeah. He spent, he, he was, he stayed the longest. He stayed in that triangle for years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't, it, it's not that I was like not opposed to war. I was generally opposed to violence, but yeah. I didn't understand how our system was as imperial as it is until I had some conversations with him and he really broke down for me how unjust these wars were. And at that point we had been in Afghanistan for less than 10 years. We're going on 20 years now. Yeah. With no end in sight, unfortunately. But yeah, Nazis, skinheads, uh, open racists, white supremacists were, they operated up more out, out in the open than they have from, I'd say, point was honestly the Oklahoma City bombing that put people under the rocks again Trump kicked the rock off of them and they came out into the sunlight again uh but before that there was a federation of of really violent people and uh they they took the name of the city and added SH so in Detroit you got the Detroit area skinheads dash in Chicago you got the Chicago area skinheads cash and so on and so forth all across the country. These guys were famous for showing up to shows, uh, music shows, and just basically trying to kill people. And if I'm not mistaken, that's where the anti-racist alliance was born. Was out That's of, where it was formed. Uh, Correct. Uh, Chicago and Detroit. Correct. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, I had, well, I guess it wasn't that recent now, but I listened to the um, Rev Left episode the Rev Left Radio episode about um, yeah about the anti-racist alliance and anti-racist action. And this dude pretty much told the same story you did. There was all these skinheads that were going to shows. They were literally going to, to shows to, you know, like beat minorities and shit. Hopefully kill people and, and kill people, uh, white people that they felt were allies against them. Most importantly. Yep. Yeah, if you didn't if you didn't hold their line, then you were you were you were as bad as a, as any person of color or or Jewish person or whatever. And they and they literally tried to kill people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the anti racist alliance rose up and started going to shows in bigger numbers, and you know, putting the boots to them. And weird, they went into hiding. Yes, they did. They were driven. <laughs> they were driven back. And they stayed in hiding until Trump let them out. Told them that they were beautiful people and how much he loved them. And how the Capitol Police were on their side. And told them to stand by. (laughs) (coughs) And the Capitol Police were on their side. That's correct. Johnny said, I recently watched a YouTube video by a former Senator, uh, Dick Black, The name of the video is The Truth About the Syrian Crisis. It's like General Smedley Butler came back from the dead and spoke again. Really good stuff. Uh, Mm. If if you can drop a link for that, Johnny, into the comments, I'd like to uh, check it out. I'd like to check that out, too. 
I'm going to go off camera for a sec while I let the dog out. That's fine. I'm going to jump thing, into... But you'll be able to hear me. That's, that's fine. I'm going to jump into women's rights. Oh, yeah. Trish was in the in the chat room uh in our in our chat uh she's i think she's gonna try and dial in if you wanted to rearrange things i don't know austin said he made hate popular again i believe he's talking about trump and i 100 percent agree i don't uh, think austin made hate popular again but you know you know with the story's not not left not not told and complete either oh geez so, uh, speaking of Trisha, I wonder when she's coming in. She said she was going to dial in. So hopefully she, she comes. Maybe we, can we do something else and maybe give her her shot? I mean, that's, that's fine by me. Yeah. I don't right. really want to take her section again. Yeah. Uh, All right. So mutual aid. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add. Are to say about mutual aid today, but um, there was a story that I felt was related, and uh, maybe it's not exactly mutual aid. I guess is what I'm getting at, but um, it's it's still things like this shouldn't need somebody else to put them together. People should just be willing to do things like this in an organization in downtown Phoenix is working to connect homeless people with their stimulus checks. So basically, the reason that's necessary, um, hey, Johnny, I mean, hey, Dean, Johnny put uh, that link in the chat if you oh, can okay. grab it so I don't lose it. No problem. <laughs> um, anyway, so what this, comes, what this comes down to is that if you don't have any income, then you don't file taxes. And if you don't file taxes, you don't get a stimulus check. Um, a lot of people that are homeless also don't have bank accounts. They don't have a place to call home. So it's basically impossible to get that money. Uh, but Human Services Campus is a nonprofit organization, and it's not the only one. It's one of several similar organizations uh, housed between downtown and the state capitol, where many people are living on, on the street. Each plays a role in helping these people with their daily needs. For 15 years, Human, Camp uh, Human Services Campus has offered them an address. It's a partnership with the United States Postal Service, and there is a mailroom where people with no home can receive important documents. Uh, think about it like a P.O. box without the box, without the key. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, and without the fee, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um. We believe, this is a quote, quote, we believe it's the only one exactly like this in the United States, uh, says the executive director, Amy Schwabenlander, Schwabenlander, there we go. Social security, unemployment, and health insurance correspondence are commonly picked up by people who've signed up to get her, or, and get a picture ID. So obviously they do have to show ID to pick up their mail there, but they get assistance getting their ID. Um, the mailroom can be used as, as an address on applications for housing, applications for jobs. Um, and in the past year, the address has been used for stimulus checks, hundreds of them being picked up there. 
they had I forgot to put it in the in the notes and I don't feel like opening the article but they're working with an organization with a tax company I forget if it was Liberty Tax or whatever um, to you know connect these these houseless people yep. with the ability <laughs> to file a tax return or file even for the stimulus checks themselves so um I want that to be so normal that it doesn't need to be news. Agreed. Yep. Be uh, nice. That's pretty much all I have for mutual aid. I am going to take a second to plug what I'm currently doing, um, as I always do. It was originally going to be a community garden and a park, but I've already butted heads with the city about using the park. Uh, for my park cleanup, they left me a voicemail that I got after my park cleanup saying, that, you know, this event hasn't been approved by the city. To avoid a fine, don't do this event. Well, I mean, they let me know so last minute that I found out after the event, and I'm still going to continue to do it anyway. However, if the situation's like that, I don't feel comfortable leaving a bunch of food there. Not because I'm afraid of what the people will do to it, but because I don't want the city workers to throw my fucking vertical gardens in the back of their truck and take it to the dump. Um, that being said, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to distribute the food that I'm growing in my own yard to people who need it. So if anybody that's listening has any ideas for that, or if anybody that's listening lives in the Phoenix area, then hit me up and let's do something. God bless you. I wish I had time. Wish I wasn't so lazy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't realize how much time I had until I started just doing shit yeah that's yeah that's kind of profound actually i mean don't get me wrong i still don't have enough time but i managed to find quite a bit of time <laughs> um obviously this last two weeks has been a little bit different because i fucking broke my nose and then i dropped a knife on my toe you know but uh here i am <laughs> you're, you're more the better looking oh wow Thanks, Dean. Gives character. So, uh, Dean, we're going into your segment now. Where are we at? Uh oh, oh my God. All right. No problem. No problem. I just want to um, take a second before we actually like dive into COVID while you're pulling that up. Natalie said in the comments, I want it to be so normal that we no longer have homeless people in the richest country in the world. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I don't, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Uh, well, guys, uh, as if you were with me and uh, we, a uh, couple weeks ago, I made some pretty forward-looking statements about where we were headed, where I felt we were headed. and. And what we could do to, to, you know, maybe not go there, or perhaps if we can't stop the bus, we can at least buckle our individual seatbelts as best we can. So I hope you've buckled your individual seatbelts because the bus is heading directly for the guardrails as predicted. Um, it is too early for me to say, "Ha ha, I told you so." I probably won't do that at all. 
However, having said that, I, I will report that uh, despite the fact that uh, uh, we are delivering vaccine at a, at a greater and greater rate, it has become more than obvious that in some places of the country, there is no vaccinations available. There's no appointments to, to become vaccinated available. And in some parts of the country, there's literally a surplus and they're taking anybody all the way down to 16, sometimes on a walk-in basis. We're uh, doing down to 16 here, um, but we are definitely not on a walk-in basis yet in Arizona. Well, where we stand with the vaccination administration is we've, we've delivered at least 97 million uh, one first-time doses and 52 million second doses. So wow. we can say that 52 million Americans are, are vaccinated in full, even if their waiting period is not cooked off. You know, there is a period of, of time, depending on the, they the say, uh, of the vaccine yeah, I was going to say for the Pfizer there, they told me at my first dose that after the second dose, it's about 14 days till you're uh, fully vaccinated. And, and, and that seems to be, uh, it just seems to be, it's a little bit longer for the J and J, but the J and J is a rare, uh, a rare case. I'm not sure that any more than a quarter of a million of J and J doses have been available. Um, I, I, we can, for a moment, we'll talk about those rates of, of uh, protective or those uh, the protecting rates that are published. We'll come back to that in a minute. But we are seeing, uh, I am seeing sharp upswings. Uh, if I look at the map, and I'm, I will actually share my screen. If I look at the map, uh, this is my dashboard personally. We do have our own stats, but I come to this one because I feel like it lends a bit of objectivity. If I'm not, if we're not eating our own lunch and drinking our own Kool-Aid, we don't become an echo chamber for ourselves. I feel like it's important to, to show data, especially as important as this somewhat objectively. If I use someone else's data, even though we do collect our own. Uh, the one that we, the dashboard that we have at the website for wearemany.org is really meant to be uh, just a daily dashboard. You can just look at and see what, what happened today or what happened yesterday, et cetera. But as you can see, and if you followed me when I share this screen, we are, uh, I would say now we're two thirds in an increased capacity. Arizona is starting to slip uh, very slightly, but it, cases are all overall and these are well, aggregates over the state it's been you, less than a week since we uh fully reopened and uh we are in the process of phasing out our mask mandates that have been put in place by localities that i would expect uh you to turn from green see texas has turned white which means a, a marginal increase you'll start like uh, some of these some of these states and Michigan is on fire right now. We're hitting five. What is going day. on in fucking North Dakota? Beats me. I mean, look at it though. Whoops. It's red. Beats me. Ninety nine percent increase. Holy shit, you guys! Michigan was the red reddest one last week. We've dropped yep. a bit, but our run rate has been 
been pretty high. Uh, well, by the way, I'll drop my I'll drop this website into the comments because I like this one because it gives you the opportunity. We're going to drill down in Arizona. Gives you the opportunity to drill down per state. So I've clicked on Arizona and noticed that it's added AZ. It added to the map and then it shows me exactly where, where what's hot and where. And, you know, these are more remote areas. I'm not seeing, you know, seven new cases puts it in red. Well, yeah, well, that's not on. a whole lot. Let's no. point out that Navajo County is the reservation. Correct. This, this is, this is the, both of these are largely reservation yep. held counties, yep. right? And they've so, been red damn near the whole time. Right. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to suggest. If I come to the, where the, where most people are, Either right. Pima or, well, Maricopa by far is the largest population wise. It's in the middle. Oh, that one's Maricopa. Or no, that's, this one. That's Pinal. Oh, there here you it go. Is. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, so it, there's an up, there's an increase. I, I mean, it, it's not pretty. Let's click into Maricopa County now that, now that we're, you're here. Uh, and I go, if I scroll up now, I can, I can look at the individual. Uh, I can look up at the individual. You can drill right in on present time, right? This 29th. So it's looking good. Honestly, in Maricopa yeah. County, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm overall, I'm pleased. That's a lot of people in that county, folks, and they're still hitting 300 a day, but it could be a hell of a lot worse. You know, it bear has in mind been that a hell it, of a lot worse. Look at, yeah, yeah exactly. you guys were hitting five, 6,000 a day. But here, I'd like to also point out you still got folks dying. Yep. Every day. Still got folks dying, and your day's not done there. So, we've got six hours of daylight left. Seven anyway, or five anyway. So, you know, this will keep you. This this enables you to drill into things that are very difficult to find other places, and then you can just clear these out if you wanted to go back to the U.S. And they've started to add countries, but this is my dashboard. I mean, this is my go-to when I want to see. Where I live, I, I I live in Shiawassee County, Michigan, and uh, man, we're we're bad. I mean, it's, it's getting bad. It's got it, it's it's an increasingly bad. We're, we're I see the sharp uptick. Well, I mean, actually, I'd like to point out on a more statewide basis, um, like all the area in Northeast Lower Michigan where there are no hospitals are all in red, and that's really not good. That is correct. They are. And the western side of the state as well. Like Presqu'il, uh, Alcona Oops. County. Oh, geez, Dean. <laughs> Alcona Sorry. County. Uh, east, I'm talking about like... Uh, Down here. I was talking about northeast. There's no hospital between the Straits of Mackinac and Alpena. And That's then, correct. And then there's none between Alpena and Tawas. Look at us go to County... 136% increase, seven day in, say, that's a seven day average, right? So, and, and you may say, well, they only got 26 cases, that's nothing. Honestly, you'd be able to tell me off the top of your head, but if I dig into Oscona County's population, I'd be surprised if it was more than 15,000. Well, I mean, Iosco County, which is the net, like it's one over and one down from Oscoda to the right and down. Yeah. So Iosco County has 40 new cases or yeah, 40 new yes. cases in the last seven days. Yes. To put that in perspective, the population of Iosco County last I knew, which was at the 2010 census was like 22,000 people. 
Wow. Like that's 40 is a lot for seven days. I'm just saying. Well, let's drill into IOSCO. Actually, now that uh, now that we're here, let's have a look and see what they're doing. Yeah, they're not doing good. Not doing good at all. It's looking pretty bad there, in fact. Their their hospital is considered a rural medical care station. It's not considered a hospital. And they were they've been at a hundred percent more than once through this crisis. Well, I imagine they're gonna hit it this week too. Oof. Because they've had more cases yesterday. They've had two-thirds as much cases as they've had in the worst day of the days of the of the second wave. So twenty-six wow. new cases in one day. That means people aren't doing the things that they're supposed to do. That means they're doing, as you said, things are opening up, the masks are coming off, the sun's out, people are led to believe that this is over, the vaccine is among us. Hell, it's over, right? Uh, Johnny said I'm conflicted about the vaccine, and I I just want to say that, like, I understand not trusting our medical system, but I do see what we're in, and the risks are a lot lower with the vaccine in my opinion, than they are with COVID itself. Let's talk about that for a moment. First, I wanted to talk about the efficacy. So uh, your normal seasonal flu vaccine varies. Um, We've talked about this, Rob. You actually know more about this than I do. But the average uh, flu seasonal flu vaccine, the, the rate of effectiveness varies from year to year. Some year it can be as low as 18 to 20%. Some year, maybe it's 70 Right, so for us to have a seventy-five or seventy-six percent effective vaccine as the as the least effective vaccine is kind of nothing short of a miracle. We're talking about anywhere from ninety-four to ninety-six percent effectiveness with with the uh, two shot, both two shot doses. That- time, time out. I don't mean to like derail us or anything, but am I seeing shit in the comments? Is somebody really trying to fucking sell us a loan at two percent interest right now? Oh, I don't know. Let's go see about that. Is it? Can we? Can we have a loan at two percent interest? Because I'm interested. Who said that? Da, 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 da. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Do you need a loan? I need a loan. What is happening right now? <laughs> Snara, thank you for your comment. Um, if that's if that's you, there's Snara's baby. There's some more Snara. <laughs> there, there's Snara and a, maybe a, a lady with a, a very floral jacket on. Kind of <laughs> jealous of that. If I had that, I'd wear the fuck out of it. Look at that. I, I believe that you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I got to look at this cute baby. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that peanut. That's hilarious. And there's there's grandma, and maybe she's in. Time out. Azure what what is, what is Panquake? In... Johnny's asking me about Panquake. <laughs> And I don't know oh, what Panquake is. I Should I know. Google it or am I going to be angry? Uh, I'll Google it right now. I've got the screen. What the hell? It's a curation tool. Oh. Oh, cool. Oh, uh, we could probably look into this. 
Um, yeah, we'll look into it. Yeah, we'll we'll look into it. This um, project is dedicated to ethical, free, and open source software. I'm down with that. Advertising fee or ad- advertising free. Sorry, short messaging, custom blockchain, transparent moderation. So is it? Uh, is it a platform? What is it? It seems like it'd be easier to find easier to. I just clicked on the website. Yeah. We'll dig into it. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have time to read the whole site right now to find out more about it, but I'm interested regardless. Julian Assange's mother. I'm out. Sorry, bro. Really? Don't like that. No, I do not like Julian Assange. I do not. I do not. I'm no fan. That's something I'm more than willing to break down on another show, but I'm I'm not a fan of Julian Assange at all. I mean, I think that the I think that he provided an an important platform for whistleblowers, but other he than provided that, over a platform that other people provided. Okay. Yes. That's accurate. And he, I, I think he, I think I'm getting I think I'm getting what you're yeah putting there. We can I would like to talk about it. I would. I would like to share my experience personally with the with the rise and fall of Anonymous and, and Julian Assange's and Chelsea Manning's uh uh in, involvement, my own personal involvement. I'm willing to speak publicly about my involvement, what I saw, what I witnessed. We'll put that in the parking lot episode, Steen. You are the keeper of the list. So, uh, would that we be a secretary? Off... <laughs> I'm sorry, sergeant at arms. No, that's Don. He's the sergeant with arms. Um, <laughs> James commented, "Is your car warranty expired? Call us today for your free quote and ask us about your student loans." <laughs> you know, uh, I meant to bring up that you know, with for we are many, you can have this the strongest, longest lasting empathy and 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 desire to bring mutual aid with no embarrassing visits to the doctor <laughs> you you just consult with one of our 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 caring professionals discreetly and don't forget to use for we are many in the at checkout the coupon code at checkout for a discount so uh all in all and i also use uh Obviously, I think a lot of folks have gone to World Meter, World Ooh Meter, and used uh, uh, the statistics that are available there. And these are more global in nature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've used uh, World Meters quite a bit, I, especially early in the pandemic. That was the first good resource I found. It really was I stuck with it for yeah, quite a while. It, it really was, um, and it was it was. Uh, it was those are scary days to watch those uh, watch those numbers go like that. Um, uh, we went from 
and I said this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, by the time it was February 24th, somewhere between the 14th and the 24th in that 10 day period, we went from single digit to triple digit cases. At that point, it was already too late to do anything. Our fate was sealed and we continued to deal with this. I think we will continue to deal with this for the rest of our natural lives. I tend to agree. I'm hoping the vaccine gives us a bit of an upper hand on that, but. Well, like I said, if I go back to 1.3 acres, which was built by Chinese Americans, it was meant to be a cultural resource for Chinese Americans. Um, and we can get into, uh, we're, I have a feeling we're going to get into, we're going to get into uh race relations with Asians and later on in the show, but uh, uh, there's almost no way we can avoid it. And I don't want to avoid it. We need to talk about these things, but yeah, we do need to talk about these things, but Holy they built shit. this site at this point. If we're if, if in two weeks, we will still not have hit 25% of our population. In fact, uh, up to 60% of our most vulnerable, meaning the elderly over 60, and people with comorbidities are still not vaccinated. We have first responders out there that are, I, I bet folks who are listening to my voice now and in future know people who are either frontline healthcare workers who want a vaccine and cannot get it, or it, it just isn't available to them. So, the bus is rolling, folks. It's heading for the guardrails. It's going to break through the guardrails. Get your seatbelt on. You might survive. If you want to discuss uh, the vaccine or, or its efficacy or if it's worthiness or if it's safety, I, I am more than happy to discuss that with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If you find me, you see me in the comments, reach out to me personally. I'll discuss it with you. It's something I don't want to break down on the open show, but I will say this, the science overwhelmingly proves that you were better off to get it. It doesn't matter which version, just get one. Now is not the time to start to apply individual feelings, notions, and concerns over that of common science. If I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it, but I'd rather tell you now what I think the best thing to do is than wait till it's too late. And, and wish that I told you the best thing that you can do for yourself personally. Buckle your seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. Considering the amount of chemicals, the amount of toxins, the amount of risky things that we put into our systems, I think we can handle a, a few micrograms of, 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 a, of an antivirus mechanism. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of shots or our medical industry or, well, I mean, really anything that we're talking about right now. However, I understand the science behind vaccines. And I mean, like, I was vaccinated as a child. My whole generation almost was. And it wasn't a huge issue. I don't understand why it's such a hot button issue. I do understand not trusting the FDA and being skeptical when they push things through very quickly, but the science behind this vaccine has been being tested for a very long time as more of a broad spectrum coronavirus vaccine and AKA the common cold, 
they were able to speed that this is correct. along because it was correct. already in motion. They didn't just make this out of nowhere in 18 months, guys. One of the things that is uh, noteworthy, it's important to note, that as the strains, and I promise for the next for the next segment, when we have this segment, and I'll stop sharing, I forgot I was sharing. When when we have this segment next time, I'll have I'll have variant maps where where it will show you where the European strain is that's clobbering Europe right now, where the Brazilian strain is that's driving Brazil through the wall, not just cases but deaths too, not just the old but children. What's coming up from Europe? What's coming up from South America? What's coming over from Europe right now? It has a great affects children and and uh, to a greater degree. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad about anything. I'm just trying to tell you, we're far from out of the woods. It's not over. Sorry to say it's not over. I don't see it being over to any great degree until I predicted the end of 2022. I still, I'm kind of sticking with that. Man. I don't, I don't like it when you put a date to it, Dean. That's too far away. I think that's optimistic. I, I do too, honestly. I'm just trying to be funny. No, I I don't like it either. You know, that's it sucks. Are we going to be shivering in the, like Trump likes to say, are we going to be shivering alone in the basement? No, we won't. We'll have vaccination available to us. We'll have some protection. We'll still have to take precautions. And and there still is a chance that, that you know, for a very, very small, and I'm talking about 0.02% of the population who cannot receive the vaccination due to whatever reasons medical that are that are serious usually it's some acute uh uh some acute uh toxicology with the with their system and the way that they react to the carriers of the uh, vaccine the filler in other words that the vaccine contains um there are going to be some of us that, that simply can't get it for the rest of us we should be able to get it and we should be able to again gather that means you'll be able to, with the vaccinated people, you'll be able to gather without your masks. You'll be able to gather and have contact with people, you know, whom you haven't had contact with for well over a year now, in some of your cases. And if you have had contact with them, you're fucking up. I have no way to put it any more plainly than unless you know where somebody's been and if they've been as careful as you are, you are making a mistake and you are taking your own health and well-being and, and you're putting it at risk. So get your vaccines. And if you can't or refuse or abjectly will not, that's fine. Then stay home by yourself and away from human beings because the virus is transported airborne from human beings to human beings. And I'm afraid that your immunity due to exposure or you're having contracted COVID, you're still not. A lot of folks are think, well, I've had COVID. I don't need the vaccine. You're not. You still have a, you still have a 70% chance of reinfection in aggregate. And there has been multiple cases of reinfection. So far, we have not seen a reinfection with a vaccinated person anywhere in the world. Oh. 
That's COVID. All right. Well, I guess that uh, that'll probably about wrap up COVID, right? Yeah, man. I know I always bring the temperature of the room down when I do these, but it's uh, it's frigid out there. There's a blizzard, and we're all in our underwear. I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. Um, so into a little more positivity, I guess, uh, sustainability today specifically, um, I want to talk about hemp. <laughs> Imagine that. Outstanding. <laughs> um, hemp is already being used in walls and insulation and it's already becoming a game changer in the construction industry. Obviously, uh, the problem is that it's not readily available yet. It takes a long time to cure, so they can't just not use concrete anymore yet. Um, but I guess let's get into it. Hempcrete is a material that's mixed with a lime-based binder that hardens into solid blocks or panels, or you can form it into however you want it, pretty much, just like concrete. Um, hey, uh, isn't somebody experimenting with, with 3D printing that, that that same exact compound? I would not be surprised, actually. I think they are. I'll try and find out while you're talking. Indeed. Um, it can be cast just like concrete. It's made from the dry, woody core of the stalks of the hemp plant. Um, concrete accounts for approximately 8% of human-generated carbon dioxide emissions annually, while hempcrete actually helps eliminate it. A recent shuddy, shuddy, study shows hempcrete removing 307 kilograms of CO2 per, cu per cubic meter, roughly the equivalent of the annual emissions from three refrigerators. That's pretty remarkable, frankly. Using hempcrete can also cut down majorly on construction uh, construction waste. Um, and a senior scientist at the Central Building Research Institute in India studied the quality aspects of hempcrete and found that it meets the standards of most building applications and even outperforms in the insulation category. Uh, as I just said, he warns that hempcrete cannot yet be used to completely replace concrete and structural work as it needs to have more strength. And it's not even the strength that's the issue, it's the curing time. Concrete cures basically fucking overnight. Hempcrete grows stronger over time. That is correct. In fact, uh, they are. It's been around since 2015. It was one of uh, the winners of a development project in a competition at MIT. They printed an entire uh, 3D hempcrete building. Um, hempstone slash hempcrete. I don't know if this is the same building, but this is cast. Uh, yeah, there's hempcrete. cast ones too. I think that those go up a lot quicker than the 3Ds. Although they're getting to the point where they can do them in 24 hours. So. Cast just means off-site casted, assembled on-site. You could, yeah. You, yeah, very rapid construction. Yep. And I mean, honestly, like that house, obviously it's not finished. Most of the window, or not all of the windows are even in. But I'm very interested in living in a house like that. <laughs> um, I see that design. It looks ideal for Arizona. It looks like what? Looks ideal for Arizona. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about the insulation, and I'm thinking about it's going to be 120 degrees outside in a couple of months. <laughs> anyway, 
that's all I had for sustainability today. I just wanted to talk about hempcrete. We talk about hemp and that kind of thing uh, pretty regularly. Johnny asked if hemp was a sort of marijuana. They are, they're very close cousins. Um, industrial hemp has a THC level of less than 3%. You cannot get high off of it. Um, Can't maybe smoke it's... the barn, people. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so yes, it is, but no, it's not. That being said, if in states where we've legalized, I'm willing to bet that if it wasn't for, you know, federal regulations, we could probably use the stocks for marijuana plants as well. But, you know, so uh, Randy Toller is in the comments. He asked, what is up with the Antifa in the background? An awful organization. <laughs> Ecolo uh, ecologism? Economics and the Greens are the future in USA 2021. Outside of yourself, sir, I think you might be hard-pressed hard to find a dedicated Green that is not anti-fascist. Um, Johnny replied to that saying, uh, We are fighting fascists in America right now, so I believe it's appropriate. And I also hold that stance. Randy said, Greens in USA are about peaceful protests, not violence. And that said, pot should be legalized. I agree with you on the end of that. Yes, pot should be legalized. I agree for that matter that Greens in the USA are about peaceful protests. Um, I guess I'm going to use an MLK quote here. That a riot is the language of the unheard. And if you're thinking that they are some sort of violent organization with some sort of ulterior motives, then I think that you might not be hearing what they're saying. You might be hearing what other people are saying. Right. I, I challenge you to go find your local Antifa chapter and join a meeting. You're not going to find one. You will find a clan meeting, but you will not find an Antifa meeting. Antifa or Antifa or whatever uh, perversion of that you want to find. I think we're all anti-fascist. That's that's what that means behind my background. And it isn't if you're either for us, you're against us. It's 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 my personal belief that anybody who's thinking, sane, and rational is not pro-fascist. Amen. Anyway, uh, we can move on now into major political happenings. And this is uh, a pretty big section today, actually. Um, first thing is going to be Oakland. I have another story in this under wealth, uh, on this in a different city and wealth inequality, but I, I didn't want to put them both together because I wanted to talk about a UBI twice. Anyway, Oakland is giving low-income residents 500 a month. No strings attached, $500. Um, and it seems like they're particularly trying to steer it towards families of color. And this should be a nationwide thing. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's a precursor to a UBI, one can hope. Um, and I'm pretty excited to see what the results are. This is a great way to lift the material conditions of those who need it desperately. And we need to see more policies like this around the country. Um, as for... What actually happened, the mayor of Oakland, California on Tuesday announced a privately funded program that will give low-income families of color in the city $500 per month with no rules on how they can spend it. The program is the latest experiment with a guaranteed income. The idea that giving low-income people 
money helps ease stresses of poverty. You really got to do a study on that. Yeah, I would think, right? Uh, but they want to show that it results in better health and upward economic mobility. The idea is not new, but it's having a revival across the U.S. after some mayors launched uh, similar smaller scale pilot programs across the country uh, and a coordinated campaign to convince Congress to adopt the National Guaranteed Income Program. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I've. I can understand some people thinking that UBI is too expensive. Um, but the easiest, the fastest way to solve poverty is to give poor people access to money, in my opinion. Anything to add? One thing. Uh, I bring your attention to my own comment, which is uh after that awkward moment the 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 background is more of a nod at a at an in joke we make on this show in relation to the my pillow guy who's made some comment offhand about anti-fascist or antifa super sluts were the ones that were behind the capital riots um so this background is more of a nod to that joke uh, we don't make the joke enough anymore for it to be part of the culture, but I guess the my pillow guy said that about Antifa super sluts. Please do me a favor and do not Google the three words Antifa and super sluts because you will not find anything about my pillow guy, but you will find one whole hell of a lot of porn because that entire term has been suborned by the porn industry and uh, they're taking advantage of that search word. Uh, and they've even made an acronym out of it, ASS. <laughs> so it's just, it's the joke that just keeps on giving, you know. So <laughs> I really I want you to, to, to understand the spirit of my comments were really in humor. Uh, they have a basis in humor. And that background has a basis in, in humor as a private in-joke about <laughs> about that, the my pillow guy and the and the and the Capitol riots. The goddamn my pillow guy. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh this is I put it under US politics because I'm not gonna add an Arizona section. <laughs> but Gila Bend um declared a state of emergency because Customs and Border Patrol continues to drop off like van loads of migrants in their town. Um, so like, and when, when we say loads, they're doing one to two per week, Mondays, last Mondays dropped with 16 more and they've been happening. Well, okay. First of all, Gila Bend is a town of only about 2000 people. They don't have a hospital. They have no shelters. Uh, the mayor said that they simply have no resources and they don't see an end in sight. The 16 migrants were dropped off by U.S. Customs and, and Border Protection. And I'm glad you caught that. I'm, I've been meaning to ask you about this for a week. Go ahead. Uh, the families were from Venezuela and Chile with young children. To drop hmm. people in basically the middle of nowhere, and keep in mind, this is in the valley, this is in the desert, it's very hot, or will be very soon. Um, so, in other words, folks directly and and specifically inhospitable and non-conductive non-conducive to life and it's 30 miles to the next fucking town 
So unless they're carrying half their body weight in water, they could be in huge trouble, right? Is that, is that what I'm inferring? I should be inferring? To quote Mayor Riggs of Gila Bend, he said, quote, to drop people basically in the middle of the nowhere, or in the oh. middle of nowhere, it's 30 miles to the next type of town, and that's 30 miles of open desert. So especially if this is happening come July and August, we're going to be finding a lot of bodies. Jesus. Um, Mother and Joseph. That being said, Riggs and his wife are using loaned vans to drive the families themselves to the Phoenix Welcome Center so they would have a, place, a safe place to stay. Yeah, and, and that's not like a half-a-day trip for him, right? And they're doing that multiple times a week. Yeah. Uh, while he's trying to run a city. Jesus. Um, so Riggs said Border Patrol told them to expect this to keep happening, which worries him as Arizona is heading towards its hot summer months. And let's just remember, last year was record setting. We had well over 100 days, over 105 degrees in a row yesterday, or last year. I almost said yesteryear. What the hell? Like it works. Um, to be a good band name. Either way, the, the other quote from the mayor I wanted to uh, include is, quote, I can't tolerate the thought of little kids having to walk through the hot desert. For 30 miles? You think a kid's going to make it? Really? I mean, no, I'm on his side. I'm not, like, bitching at him. But, like, the fact that this even needs to be said. Border Patrol's leaving him there to die. That's my take on it. That you know, and this is not this is not strange behavior, right? These are the same people that destroyed water caches that ranchers and farmers set up, knowing that people were were coming up even on their own personal property, starving, you know, dehydrated, sick. These guys would either poison them or or just destroy them. So I, I I'm not surprised by the. By the uh, withering empathy, considering the last four years that we have to ramp down from. Johnny, I agree with what you just said about the authoritarian. This, the one we live in, this authoritarian state is indecent and has to be stopped. That's exactly the point. And that's... Um, I mean, this, these particular current event streams are, are more or less to, to inform people if they don't already know or remind them if they do that that's necessary. Stopping this system is necessary. It is literally a matter of life or death for millions of people around the world. Nice. Yeah. That's heavy. So... Uh, in the comments, I wanted to point to, uh, yeah, there's been a few, I didn't read all of them. So by all means, go ahead. <laughs> one, uh, Randy, thank you for, for joining. And I hope that, uh, my explanation of my background was sufficient. Um, he, he states he's green party co-founder and running for president 2024. That's quite amazing folks that we have of Randy Tolar in our comments. That's, my mind is blown, my friends. 
So uh, thank you, Randy, and thank you for, uh, for um, uh, accepting my explanation of my provocative background. Hopefully it's sufficient. That's one comment. And two, uh, 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 bah, 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 bah. The, the conversation is more about about uh, 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 finance and the economy, but uh, which we will cover in a later segment. I just wanted to bring up that we have a president, a Green Party presidential candidate in our midst. That's uh, mind blowing. So. Huh. An honor right. to see you and an honor to speak to you and uh, we're happy that you're here. All right. Um the next thing I wanted to talk about in U.S. politics, and I, I feel like most of us probably know already at this point, that the governor of Georgia signed a law curbing voting access. The new law includes measures that cut the time period voters have to request absentee ballots and impose new identification requirements, make it easier for state officials to take over local elections boards, limit the use of ballot drop boxes, allow challenges to voting eligibility, criminalize any attempt to approach voters in line, even if to give them water. And uh, this is a quote from who? Uh, anyway, I don't think that's, oh, it's, an, it's a quote from the Associated Press. Okay, that's what it is. Quote, Replace the elected Secretary of State as the chair of the state election board with a new appointee of the legislature after Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger rebuffed former President Trump's attempts to overturn Georgia's election results. Uh, and then Kemp himself, the governor, said, quote, Few are more important than the law I signed moments ago, which ensures Georgia's elections are secure, accessible, and fair. It's not fair. It's no, not it's fair. not. I agree. It's not. Not at all. It's not really accessible either, but I mean, how many times has Georgia closed how many dozens of polling places right before an election without telling anybody? Oh, sure. And uh, and sign new, uh, new uh, punitive and uh, anti-voting legislation in front of pictures of plantations, famously. I'm sure we'll get to that too. Uh, then the Missouri GOP blocked a Medicaid expansion approved by the voters because rural citizens voted against it. Now, it was uh, state voters approved the expansion in an August 4th, 2020 vote by a margin of 53.2 to 46.7. So it's not like it was like, you know, 49.9 to 50.1. No, no, it was pretty resoundingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
The vote added an amendment to the state constitution making Medicaid available to people between the ages of 19 and 65 as long as their income is at or below 138% of the federal poverty level. The expansion would cover an estimated 230,000 individuals and has a July 1st deadline for implementation. Uh, the state House bill, re rejected by Republicans, proposed paying for the expansion with $130 million in state funds and $1.6 billion in federal funds. However, 20 Republican legislators in the House Budget Committee opposed it as too costly. Comparatively, nine committee Democrats voted for it. Uh, however, Republican State Representative Sarah Walsh cited the amendment's low support among rural voters as a reason to oppose its funding. And she was quoted as saying, Rural Missouri said no. I don't believe it is the will of the people to bankrupt our state. Here's my rebuttal to that. The people were quite clear about their wishes. And uh, they want health care. It's your responsibility to do it. You know, this is... This is a common trope whereby people have somehow been convinced to act against their own best interest, which is maybe based on some sort of virtue signaling. Is it, is it mass, mass brainwashing? Is it a, a fundamental lack of understanding of the issue that they're making decisions about? Or is it just merely the efficacy of advertisement? You know, like Tennessee, for example, to put to put that in Kentucky, uh, there's there's multiple states that are either southern or rural, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I don't mean that in a punitive or or belittling manner, but either rural or southern states. Uh, these districts continuously act against their own best interests. They elected a, a governor in, in Kentucky who said, you know what, I'm going to cut Medicaid. I'm going to cut. And people who were on Medicaid voted for the guy and he cut him off of health care. And, you know, what happens? This is why the left, this is why liberals, sometimes Democrats, they get... Uh, they get shit, maybe, and I, you know, sufficiently, maybe insufficiently, they, they get shit for being smug or being judgmental or being elitist in their viewpoint of this. Like, hop, you elected, uh, you, you elected the, you elected the leader of the leopards will eat your face off party. And now you're complaining your face got ate off or whatever. You know, there's lots of internet jokes about that sort of thing or this, or the, the scorpion and the, and the, what is it? The scorpion and the frog or the scorpion and the turtle? I don't know. But what is the psychology there? Johnny had a couple of things to say in the comments about what you were just saying, if you want to. Yeah, I'll go there. Yeah, I had to get up and let the dog out again because pitbulls, you know, are very active creatures with super bladders that are apparently the size of a dime. Well, I mean, you know, it's because you looked comfortable. That's, that's oh, really it <laughs> it's primarily what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the most lethal weapon, this is the latest comment from Johnny, the most lethal weapon those in power have over. Oh, oh, it's above that. Media. 
Yeah, I was they, talking I about. I don't think this is exactly accurate. People voting against their best interests. Yeah. It is my opinion the efficacy of a mass media, to be more specific. But isn't it against their best interests ultimately? Isn't that the outcome? I mean, anyway, they manufacture consensus, consent along with a corrupt voting system. But sure. Okay, I don't know that the voting system is corrupt, though. It may not be perfect. You know, it may not be ideal. I, I, I haven't seen, a, and maybe we should have a human rights organization monitor our elections externally. I mean, we do that. I mean, they've, they've talked about it multiple times, but, they, but, never, it, but they never come. If we continue to say how corrupt things, in our, as far as our voting system is concerned, when one guy wins versus another guy, Oh, it worked perfectly because our guy won. It's a perfect system. You, you know, come on. You know, I, I, but anyway, I don't want to dwell on that, that part of your comment. I think what I understand the no, nature of what you said. I do. Greg Palace work on this is good evidence. All right. Okay. I, I know the name. I don't know why, because I forget things. Yeah, I don't even know the name, so I'm gonna have to. I Greg Palace. Oh, he's uh, he's pretty well known. I guarantee you, you've you've come across his work. I probably have. I'm actually gonna write it down. Or in the, actually, you have like the the list of things that were written down, right? Out of the comments, that link and the other link, and there was something else, right? Man, today's oh, been yeah, a really active flex. show. Yeah, I got it. In flex. It's been an active show, and it's been a. And it's been a easy because it's just the two of us. We're easily distracting one another. But no, Johnny, I wanna, I, I wanna. Um, oh, he was okay. Uh, Greg Powell. Okay, yeah. okay, that makes sense. You know, I, I do. I want to take into, I, I want to take into consideration your notion about this. When you talk about voting, you, I want to be sure I'm clear about what you mean. It isn't the tally of vote, rather the I would imagine you mean the organization of voting the voting blocks and perhaps even gerrymandering, which, you know, I, you know, I, if I had a Republican counterpart sitting next to me, he would argue that the Democrats also gerrymandered and it's not just a Republican uh, uh, hustle. Right. But I think that in the last 50 years, it has been uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. At least the last 50 years, probably the last 60 years, it's primarily been a, uh, uh, it's primarily been a, a, a right tactic. I'm not saying they're they're the only ones that have ever done it, and they're the only ones guilty of doing it. I'm saying that they're currently the ones that are that are benefiting the most from uh, segregating people from their votes, isolating people, and leaving people who are who are influential and wealthy and well connected and the kind of demographic that they want to represent to ensure that they maintain their power. And that's just that's not democracy. That that's. That's the opposite of a democracy. That's a that's a uh, it's a pyramid scheme, is what that is. Which really, we're back full circle. The entire right wing is nothing but a bunch of MLM hustlers that are selling each other bullshit. So yeah, I think I was. I think that's what he meant. Really, wasn't necessarily the voting, counting of votes, rather than the organization of voters and and intentionally organizing them in a punitive way, in a racist way, in a way that 
the people with the least amount of resources and the most vulnerable have the least amount of representation and power to change, to make change. I may be the only one talking right now. Rob, are you online? Anyway, you might have stepped away from the keyboard, and that's fine. Uh, it is ugly, and I 100% agree with you. But that is the basis of taxation without representation. And honestly, if that's such a trigger to the constitutional fetishists, I hope I didn't offend anybody by what I just said. If that is such a trigger to the constitutional fetishists, then quite frankly, uh, why would we suffer a minute's worth of racism based on that? We saw, uh, we saw murder on live TV today. And all of us looked on and, 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 and watched the outcome of a police force that, 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 that mishandled its constituencies so poorly that they cost person his life. And this is just one incident out of hundreds of thousands, cost a person his life while in their care and management. Uh, let's say that, let's take the, let's take the cops out and put in water department workers. What if water department workers? <laughs> oh, shit. Um, I still am cobsmacked that we have Randy Tolar as a listener. Uh, Randy, if you're still out there, uh, we would love to interview you. If you would if you would lower yourself to speak to anti-fascist uh, super sluts that we are. <laughs> Am I even connected? Anybody out there? And this is not radio silence. This is Dean looking around to see where my co-host went. All right, well, anyway, that's fine. What I will do then is move to the next section. Jerry, can you believe we do that? Why is that a thing? What, why do we think that's okay? Actually, I had uh, one more. Mm, good. Glad to hear your voice. I thought I was alone. No, I was in the comments. I don't know where you're at. I We're see all... you in the comments, but I don't. I didn't hear your voice or see. Oh you. yeah, no, I stepped out for a second. Oh okay. I should have let you know. My bad. <laughs> no problem. I figured it out now. Um, but the Minnesota uh, marijuana legalization bill has cleared the fourth house committee. They seem pretty serious about it. We'll see if it goes to a floor vote. Floor vote. I hope so. Oh, Minnesota. Yeah, I figured you'd, you'd catch that too. Yep. 
Uh, a bill cleared a fourth House committee on Wednesday, bringing it another step closer to a floor vote in the chamber. House Majority Leader Ryan Winkler, Speaker, Speaker Melissa Hortman, and other lawmakers filed the measure last month. It would allow adults 21 and older to possess, purchase and possess up to 1.5 ounces of cannabis and cultivate up to eight plants, four of which could be mature. Uh, the House Agriculture, Finance, and Policy Committee heard testimony from advocates and industry stakeholders, and members put a number of questions to Winkler. Lawmakers voted 8-5 to five to advance the legislation. This comes three weeks after the Workforce and Business Development Finance and Policy Committee, wow, that's a mouthful, approved the, the bill. Previously, it's through, moved through the Labor, Industry, Veterans, and Military Affairs Finance and Policy Committee, and the Commerce Finance and Policy Committee as well. Um, during the hearing, the panel approved an amendment that refines the definition of, uh, of hemp and lays out the process that regulators would follow if they suspect that marijuana products are being distributed in violation of the statute. Yes. Pretty exciting. Hopefully it, uh, you know, happens. Um, so that'll take us into international news. And this is another pretty full section, honestly. Um, the U.S. has sunk to a new low in rankings of world democracies. That's great news. Um, I don't think any of us that are currently in this stream are surprised by that, though. Uh, the U.S. has fallen to a new low in a global ranking of political rights and civil liberties, a drop fueled by unequal treatment of minority groups, damaging, damaging influence of money in politics, and increased polarization, according to a new report by Freedom House, which is a democracy watchdog group. I don't know a hell of a lot about them, but... Uh, yeah, I don't either. Regardless, um, I, I mean, we dipped 11 points in a year. I would assume that this is some sort of neoliberal organization um and and we're failing on their scale so likely uh the u.s earned 83 out of 100 possible points this year we were at 94 the last time uh i don't know why i said in a year i meant and they they do this every 10 years uh but we've dropped 11 points in 10 years the U.S. new ranking places it on par with countries like Panama, Romania, and Croatia, and behind countries such as Argentina and Mongolia. It lagged far behind countries like the U.K., 93, Chile, 93, Costa Rica, 91, and Slovakia, 90. 83, seven points below Slovakia, just to point that out. Uh, and uh, the vice president for research and analysis told The Guardian, told the Guardian quote, Dropping 11 points is unusual, especially for an established democracy, because they tend to be more stable in our scores. It's significant for Americans, and it's significant for the world, because the United States is such a prominent, visible democracy, one that is looked to for so many reasons. Maybe they're starting to realize that we've never been great, and they never should have been looking up for to us in the beginning. But, anyway... <laughs> Uh, the report details the inequities that minority groups, especially Black and Native Americans, face when it comes to the criminal justice system and voting access. 
It also illustrates that public trust in government has been damaged by the way rich Americans can use their money to exert outsized influence on American politics. Sure. And it points out that extreme partisan uh, gerrymandering, the manipulation of electoral district lines to boost one party over the other, has contributed to dramatic polarization in the U.S., threatening its democratic foundations. Gerrymandering, the report says, quote, has the remote, the most corrosive and radicalizing effect on U.S. politics. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's why we're seeing so many people stepping outside of the two-party system for the first time or huge numbers of non-voters getting involved in political organization for the first time. Yeah, and large amounts of... of uh... I'll use this as a blanket catch-all, but a large amounts of left-leaning uh, people who are discouraged by the Democratic Party seeking alternatives, you know, the Working Family Party, the Green Party, the DSA, you know, anything but the but the 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 the, the, the bifurcated uh, politics that we have now. Yeah. So uh, Raspucci, uh, the same lady I was quoting a minute ago, said, yep. uh, quote, we're really concerned about these longer term challenges that are not going to be addressed with quick fixes that were kind of highlighted during the <laughs> Trump administration and in some cases taken advantage of by that administration. A change of president is not going to make that go away. Right. Uh, Johnny, I, I think that what she was uh, what she was getting at was that uh, in the eyes of the world, we've been a beacon for human rights because nobody ever actually turned the the the, the lens on us. Nobody ever actually looked at it because we were too busy calling out everybody else for everything under the book that we were doing right here at home, if not worse. Um. I, I agree that it's a shill, but even by their standards, we are failing as a democracy. Yeah, well, you know what? If you go down to Brazil right now, you can see the openly fascist, not even neo-fascist. These are fascist party demonstrations that support Bolsonaro that are waving American flags and Trump flags. Now, the American flag in many right-leaning, especially Eastern European and South American countries has become synonymous. It has replaced the Nazi flag. Another reason for this background. You get, let that sink in. The, 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 the image in your head of your flag that you pledged your allegiance to as a small child in the classroom with Mrs. Mrs. Glump, or whatever your teacher's name was, is now an image of corrupt power. Can we also talk about how fucking creepy that is? <laughs> let's do, let's do Mrs. Clump's second grade <sighs> class. You're standing there. I, I mean, letting... like, that's right up there with, in terms of propaganda, that's right up there with Hitler taking pictures with Hitler's youth. You know, like, and you're trying not to screw it up just in case the president himself was listening to you, that you'd somehow let your entire country down if you fucked up the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, guess what? Some really nasty people all around the world are waving it as a symbol of power. 
and corruption. Where they used to wave a Nazi flag, now they're waving a U.S. flag. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> Natalie responded to your comment saying, understandable as they are more of a one-opoly. See, people talk about authoritarian left-wing regimes. It's a gerontocracy <laughs> is what it is. Well, just yeah. old. But I, I mean, in terms of, I, I, I just have a, it's a bit of a joke, I guess, but yeah, it is. I, I have a bit of a, stake to, uh, a statement to make here. Like we have, we, we always talk about these one-party dictatorships, whether they're right-wing or left-wing, but of course we especially focus on the left-wing ones here. Um, but in true American fashion, we have two one-parties. That's true. I agree. Uh, <laughs> Johnny said all the right words without the symbolism. Yeah. It is a gerontocracy. It's a class of, of landholders and wealth hoarders who wish to protect their fully vested interests. Amen to that. So I, I guess it, I put this in here more or less to have a laugh about it together, but the State Department announced a, uh, a new longstanding policy against backing coups. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I think we have represented and, and have executed in the last 75 years. Well, in other words, since world, the end of World War II, if you count World War II, maybe longer, uh, 53 coups in, in various countries in this, in this planet. Various countries that exist now and no longer exist. Yeah. So that is, that's why I laugh out loud. I mean, yeah. Okay, so... What happened was Venezuela accused the United States of plotting another coup, and the spokeswoman... They uh, certainly did. Yes, yes. And the State Department spokesperson, Jen Psaki, rejected the claim as ludicrous. That's literally what she said, is that accusation is ludicrous. That was the quote. She said, uh, quote, as a matter of longstanding policy, the United States does not support tr uh, political transitions by non non-constitutional means that's correct that's why you you're that's why we had uh what we had on jan 6 and you've got the president of former still issuing statements on presidential letterhead even though it's slightly perverted i dropped the link in the comments just now if anybody actually wants to read the interview uh, uh jen saki by the way is uh the white house press secretary i believe but uh, yeah, that would mean she's probably the de facto spokesperson for the State Department since that's a cabinet. By the way, I would like to point out, you know, I'm no Biden apologist, but I would like to point out that Trump literally eviscerated the diplomatic corps in his four years. He let, a, a, he, there was a great deal of bloodletting. Uh, a lot of folks would call it as draining the swamp. Some folks would say it was an unnecessary overburden of bureaucracy. I would argue that it was many generations of statecraft literally flushed down the toilet. Some of that was good. Some of that was bad. By and large, these were middle and lower level State Department operatives that were process holders. They were, they were knowledge workers. They, were, they certainly were not planners of coups. They, they just knew how a, a State Department could function 
uh, I guess, at a technocratic level. I hate to say it. You know, technocracy does not mean uh, we know how to use the internet and we're pretty good at Facebook. It means the streamlining and the effect of increasing the effectiveness of process over burden. Something the Obama administration was actually pretty good about, pretty good at too, by the way. And the Trump administration was among the worst uh, the world's ever seen, except for perhaps uh, military dictatorship or a third world country. So you're going to see some weird shit coming out of the State Department, frankly, because the A students were walked to the door. The C students are now in charge of the fucking building. The D students. Yeah. Um, you know, like so the war movie. Johnny uh, said, uh, Johnny said like- we have blood on our hands and we will be held accountable. I personally am responsible for this because I have not done what is needed to be uh, what it, what is needed to be done to get rid of the neoliberals in power. It is my fault personally. This is the attitude each and every one of us must have if we are to live in truth and decency. And I don't disagree with that. That's part of why I kind of like kick my own ass into gear. We're all responsible for this to an extent. Yeah. Like, you or I, personally, what can we do? Nothing. What can we do if there's millions of people, though? I like the way you think, Johnny, and I like the way that you put things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm going to move on from that story, because, I mean, it just... The State Department does not have a long-standing policy against backing coups. The last one that we did was, what, last year? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, we certainly gave Bolsonaro a push. Yeah. And that's that's directly translated into the loss of human life outside of the activities of normal, everyday uh, fuckheadery and corruption. Right. Yeah. Uh... So, Myanmar. Thank you. Welcome news about Myanmar. It's not great news. I know. Saturday, March 27th, which is an annual Armed Forces Day in Myanmar, security forces killed at least 114 people, including children under 16. A 13-year-old boy was shot dead by security for, uh, forces as he played outside his home. The military had seized a woman's body and refused to return her until her family signed a statement saying her death was not caused by the military. The UN rapporteur accused Myanmar of mass murder and criticized the international community for not doing enough to stop it. I mean, outside of committing some sort of coup or military intervention, I don't think that there is a whole lot that we can do to stop it, but, uh, wow. Anyway, Tom Andrews, the UN's independent expert of human rights for Myanmar, stated, quote, Today, the junta of Myanmar has made Armed Forces Day a day of infamy, with the massacre of men, women, and very young children throughout the country. Words of uh, condemnation or concern are frankly ringing hollow to the people of Myanmar while the military junta commits mass murder against them. It is past time for robust, coordinated action. 
Uh, and then uh, the special, uh, the UN special advisor on the prevention of genocide said, "Quote: The shameful, cowardly, brutal actions of the military and the police, who have been filmed shooting at protesters as they flee, and who have not even spared children, must be halted immediately." If the Security Council isn't able to do anything, Andrews, who was the first person I quoted, uh, called for an emergency international summit. There you go. In the meantime, protesters continue to take to the streets in Myanmar. Solidarity. That takes balls. In Yangon, if I'm saying that right, (laughs) a small group rallied in a residential area that had previously seen chaos from police shooting at demonstrators. This march finished without any reported incidents. Reports have shown more casualties on Sunday. Um, There was not a definite number, so I didn't put a definite number. But beyond the massacre of protesters, the military is also battling ethnic Karen fighters. The Karen National Union is one of over a dozen ethnic, ethnic organizations fighting for decades to gain autonomy from Myanmar's central government. Approximately, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's spelled just not, just like the name Karen. Um, but approximately 3,000 villagers from territory controlled by the Karen fled to Thailand Sunday after Myanmar military aircraft dropped bombs on the guerrilla position. Jeez. Hey Rob, can you down the music just a little bit? I can oh. turn it off. Oh, yeah. That's as no, low as have... it goes. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. Okay, cool. Never mind. I felt like it was kind of loud, too, though. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what we got for Myanmar. Uh, it's a dark situation there, but I can't even express... Like, what those people must be going through. Uh, well, it'll end up in worse. What'll happen? We will yet see another Burmese war. Johnny said that this raises an interesting question I've had for some time now. How do you convince a military force to obey decency uh, over against the rule of men? Depends on if they're controlled or controlling, right? You can see the example that was led by Egypt. You had a massive outpouring of people. It happened in the United States, honestly. If you want to get down to brass tacks, you had a massive outpouring of people. In Tahir Square, you had hundreds of thousands of people come. They overturned the government. Literally, they stopped the wheels of power. And in that vacuum, rather than being able to muster their own candidate or whatever, they let the Muslim Brotherhood in, and the Muslim Brotherhood came in. They made, you know, these are not good people. They did bad things, and they had turned to the military. Please, can you fix this? Can you, you know, just kind of maybe shoot these guys? You know, <laughs> they suck. I keep seeing the the fledgling tendrils of real revolution, right? The Spring Revolution in China. Every once in a while, it creeps up just a little bit. I always feel like we're on the cusp of something huge. I keep waiting for that moment whereby 
something will trigger a chemical from from red to green in our brains and we will just rise up and we will turn these people into blood and take back the process of humanity and we don't it never happens you know so i'm just kind of holding my breath there and i i feel like Myanmar is the latest center of the universe i don't know man i'm still pretty stuck on india too i agree i agree. like that whole portion of the fucking globe honestly i'm interested in i you know i would I have a action item to try to bring somebody who's close to this and maybe has insights that we cannot see because of, of news barriers, because like farmers yeah. in India don't sell Coke. So CNN is not going to run stories. Same with Myanmar for that matter. You know, somebody who's a little closer to the history and the, 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 the the, the culture, the language, the, the the players involved, even maybe the parties involved, the personalities involved. It would be nice to have somebody, and, and I think I know who that person is. It's a matter of getting their time, getting, getting their time and attention to kind of, you know, walk us through this thing and, and let us know what they are seeing, you know, on uh, at their level. Because we we have to process everything through a through a, a, a Wall Street filter or a yeah, yeah. advertisement filter. And actually, we've had some questions on the page. You know, like how is your story any different? I mean, that's the thing is that we have to take these. Well, not not in all cases, but a lot of times we have to take these corporate articles and figure out what the spin is. Yes, it takes work to dig into it and. And, and we're on the cusp of being able to do that, to be able to dissect these organizations, pull the personalities out, look at the organizations that are making statements, look at the reporters that are writing about them, look at their supporters, look at their backers, look at their, look at their organization, the, cult, the corporations that they belong to and what their interests may be. That's a lot of legwork and to what end, right? To what end we find what we already knew, right? But in the, in the vacuum of information, we have to make some suppositions. Do I have a GoFundMe? No. Is there any way we can get involved with directly? Not yet. Not that I'm aware of. I hope there will be. But at least you hearing our voice and Rob's research is leading us to start to ask some fundamental questions. Hey, what in the world is going on? Who's advocating for these people? What, why are we why are we seeing literally seeing people standing in front of tanks again? Who's the, who the fuck's in charge here? I want to see the manager of the of, of the revolution. I want to talk to the manager of the revolution. Go for Karen on this. Karen, India. Tell me about India. Hmm. 
Rob, you're on mute, buddy. My bad, Dean. No worries. So no, that they they uh, in India yesterday they did a pretty good act of civil disobedience in my eyes. They burned the copies of the farm laws as part of the Holika Dahan celebrations at the border. They called the laws anti-farmer and anti-people and said they would not step back until the center repealed all three laws. At the toll plaza, farmers remembered the more than 300 farmers who have lost their lives since the protests began. Uh, quote, quote, we cannot celebrate any festival as our brothers and elderly persons have sacrificed their lives during the agitation. That's, mm. Uh, mm. Okay. Yeah. That's a farmer leader from Asanda. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I need to get better at these like international city names, man. <laughs> Johnny says that we're better than watching CNN. I'm glad that you think that. I, I would I would hope. But I'm I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that we are not doing this in vain. Um farmers have organized to keep up momentum, assigning duties to farmers. For example, one vehicle is on duty to pick up and drop off farmers from two villages daily. Farmers also worked to uh, block the national highway. Um and then police were condemned by the former minister for trying to book them for blocking the highway. Lord. I mean, whose streets? Our streets. Well, maybe. Don't forget, this is, we're talking India, right? <laughs> well, okay, you're right. They're not your, mine and your streets. No, but... man, but believe it or not, there's private roads, you know. Oh, well, they... yeah, and that's that's why they're at the border of the tolls correct yeah yeah and i mean honestly that's a pretty widespread thing here too uh, is it down there really well no i don't mean here like here oh i mean oh, here you mean, like yeah the US. definitely in the u.s yeah. Yep. yeah yeah here no but on the way here yeah yeah forget about it you gotta have 25 bucks worth of tolls uh, i think it was probably about 25 bucks round trip last time but yeah. The first time I didn't even take toll roads. I took two lane blacktop as much as I could because I was towing over my Nissan Rogue's capacity on a Whoops. trailer that was over its capacity. <laughs> uh, oh. All the way from National City, Michigan to Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> I have a Murano. Yeah? I love that thing. It's our second one. I mean, honestly, I don't have any real complaints about my Rogue. It's not the nicest car I've ever driven, but it's got 116,000 miles on it and still keeps trucking along. Nice. I haven't had any real issues with it. Anyway, so uh, the next segment is also a long one today. Wealth inequality. This is probably, or at least should be, one of our keynote segments, given our political ideologies and such yeah in our history yep all right so the first story in here today <laughs> i love this story oh i mean but go ahead dean you can tell it no no man i like it when you tell stories <laughs> 
And I know that you're going to dissect this as you go, and I'm I'm looking forward to it now. You can't all right. out. All right. No, all right. All right. I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> actually, read from the article. Um, General John Thune is opposing a $15 minimum wage and quotes that he earned, cites that he earned $6 as a kid, and that's $24 with inflation today. Now, bear in mind, right, who, how old is this cat? If he was making six bucks an hour, he's a lot younger than I thought. He says, in a tweet voicing his opposition for raising national minimum wage to $15 an hour, Republican South Dakota Senator John Thune said he made $6 an hour working at a restaurant as a quote-unquote kid, adjusted for modern inflation using June 1978 as a baseline. That would be $24 an hour today. You know, fuck him. I, I was making three twenty-five. dollars was it 325? Yeah, it was 325 and out, 335, three, whatever. I mean, just to clarify though, the that wage would be the equivalent of 50,000 a year before. Yeah, I was, I'm just about to say this is what I've made jokes about on this show. How many times when we'd be like, oh, yeah, the, you get a job pumping gas or get a job being a grocery bagger or get a job being a busboy? Man, anytime before, say, 1980, that it was a living wage. And this guy just validates that they were paid a little bit better than a living wage for that time. And that was just fine as long as you were white enough to get a job like that. Yeah. So $6 uh, an hour. I, I like this little breakdown. Emily put it in the, in the show notes, though. Uh, obviously, the first point was it would be over $50,000 under the proposed $15 an hour current or minimum wage. A person would earn about $31,200 a year with the current minimum wage is $15,080 a year. And the poverty yep. line, which is drastically too low in my eyes is $12,880 a year. Yeah. That's kind of obscene. That's kind of obscene. And by the way, so is $31,000. And I have friends many of whom listen to this show who are secondary and primary school teachers that make less than $27,000 a year. And these are four-year degreed people with student loans to pay. Yep. Yep. In some cases, it's five years. If you have to, you count the time that it takes to, to obtain a teaching certificate. That's five years of education. Well, and that, that's also assuming you're a full-time student if you're trying to work a part-time Correct, job that's what I was about college, to say. Which yeah. is impossible today, mind you. But if that's what you were trying to do, then it could be six years or seven years. They call... The procedure would require a majority of House Democrats and all Senate Democrats to approve the measure. And Democratic West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said he wouldn't assist the passing of the measure without Republican support. Manchin has said he does support raising the minimum wage, calling the current $7.25 an hour poverty wages. I say they are slave wages. They're not poverty wages. I say you double it and you're maybe at poverty wages. You double yeah. it to $15 an hour. That's still a poverty wage. And you're still going to have to piss in a Bezos bottle at work what we're trying to say here is that it's nowhere near enough we should be fighting for 25 by 2025 not ten dollars tom cotton 
Yeah, Flint, Flint, Michigan turned the nation, turned the world on its ear over this issue. I really feel like we should be able to do the same. There's a lot more of us. And they just shut down a segment of an industry. Granted, it was the most wealthy and most successful corporation in human history at that time. But guess what is now? And the next one's about Kirsten Cinema. What's that? Hold on. What? Go ahead. Uh, she is a she is a senator from Arizona. She is my senator. Uh, oh she, right. I she know, used to I be know. aligned with the Green Party. Um, her her entire story. The reason that she got my vote, honestly, is her her story about how she came from poverty and she knows what it's like to struggle. Okay, well, it got me because she rejected the fucking minimum wage hike. Just saying. She anyway, don't look like she knows what it's like to struggle. I mean, I, I agree. I didn't, like, <laughs> base anything off the fact that she looks like a fucking... Lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what I want to know is if Can't you were, if you were actually... Like aligned with the Green Party, how how are you going to become one of the most right wing fucking senator uh, right wing Democrats anyway in the Senate? And the Democrats are damn near as right wing as the Republicans. How do you sink that low? I mean, she doesn't look like a bad look, person. She Bernie's looks smart. pissed. All right. She looks well put together. She looks like a politician. Okay. Yeah. She looks wealthy. <laughs> She's got that wealthy person's skin. Well, yeah, I mean she is now. She wasn't she wasn't like newly elected in 2020, right? Interesting. She was... Anyway, I mean I should have known better, but the point is is there no, I didn't no... do anything wrong. I think you... I, I wasn't I wasn't shooting a fucking fellow Green Party person in the foot. There was no opposition, so no. I, I viewed nope. it as damage control. But oh, and we welcome you. Kristen, to come on to our program and demonstrate to us how we are wrong. Yeah. We're, we're more than... So this is from Jacobin Magazine, though, and I just wanted to read just a small part of it, pretty much. Um, I, I really like the writing style for some of this. Such appears to be the case with Kirsten Cinema, the Democratic senator from Arizona who recently went viral after cheerfully voting against a $15 minimum wage hike that would have helped reduce poverty for millions of children and working parents. Unlike fellow con congressional spike strip Joe Manchin, <laughs> congressional spike strip, I like that, Cinema uh, doesn't have a conflict of interest that might explain her vote. According to her disclosures, her only extracurricular activity is a $25,000 a year adjunct teaching job at a local uh, university. Nor has Cinema, yeah, who consistently ranks among the least wealthy members of Congress, appeared to pair her journey up to her to the political eh, appeared to pair her her journey up the political ladder. Sorry, with That's a windfall. Easy for you to Apparently not. Uh, with a windfall <laughs> in her own, own personal fortune. So uh, okay, you're right. Does does she deserve success? Yes. Does she deserve to prosper because of her influence? Okay, 
you know, it seems to be a sacrifice we're all willing to make. I'm not, but it seems like a sacrifice that the large majority of the population is willing to make. If we elect you into office and you do our bidding, then therefore certain things may or may not come your way that are financially fortuitous for you. I'm not cool with that, and I never have been. Millionaire senators piss me the fuck off. It makes it, it, it ensures that their own best interest is at heart, and then maybe some of ours might get dragged along with that selfish pursuit. And that is a compromise we've been making in politics for the last 250 years. It's annoying and it's boring. Yeah. So uh, Emily actually said this in the comments. I was going to bring it up anyway, but Emily listened to her give a speech at ASU's law school graduation a couple years ago. Her oh, cousin, yeah. her cousin's a lawyer. Nice. Um, and she is super well spoken. If only she had stuck to what she said. Maybe she did. You know, I would be love to hear. I would love to hear an open forum why this is a terrible idea. Why can't you support a living wage? Is it really that costly for a, a, a corporation that that pays dividends to shareholders? Is it really that unthinkable for them to pay their employees enough money to be able to afford to live and take care of their children? Yeah. Come on. I mean, we can't say any further than we're the most advanced democracy or that we're the greatest nation on earth if we refuse steadfastly to to put people's health and well-being in front of the 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 needs and greeds of of the market that i mean i can't, I can't put it any simpler i can't think of a simpler way to put it so back in 2002 2004 <clears throat> She had written into the Arizona Republic railing against NAFTA, the World Bank, and WTO, warning that, quote, until the average American realizes that capitalism damages their livelihood while augmenting the livelihoods of the wealthy, the almighty okay. dollar will continue to rule. Less than three years later, she would describe herself as a, quote, Prada socialist. Whatever the fuck that means. Well, that's a champagne socialist. Ah. Um... And, and I mean, like when she won, what seat was this? State House. When she won that, she used the seat for progressive causes. Uh, causes. She opposed abortion restrictions. She fought for extending the rights of straight married couples to gay ones. Uh, meaning, meaning, uh, you know, equal fucking marriage rights in Arizona. That's pretty prominent, I would say. Led a successful effort to kill a ban on affirmative action. Uh, spoke out against drug testing of welfare beneficiaries and cuts and regressive changes to Medicaid and spearheaded the fight to kill a banner, uh, a, a banner, <laughs> a measure banning same-sex marriage. She did what few lawmakers did at the time, certainly in Arizona, and talked about mass incarceration, attending a prison reform rally in 2008, where she declared that, quote, individuals deserve to have a start again. And yeah, she said, right. and she said, quote, we need to push people in from the edges, right? So she's talking about like, well, I mean, obviously she said the edges, meaning the left and right, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think we should push the fascists the fuck out. But anyway, uh, you know, so she obviously was a leftist until she hit the big time. I, what the fuck? As you said, Dean, if she would ever come on here and uh try to explain her shift 
that'd be that'd be fun. I think so too. I think it'd be great. And 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 if she has not turned the corner, uh, we can provide a platform for her for her to demonstrate that. Otherwise, you know, we are not. This is a, 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 a you know, you are guilty until you're proven innocent. That's not cool. So, but but same token. I mean, I don't know. A I voting base, I, exactly. I base a lot on voting records, and that's a big red X. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to put the, uh, if I haven't already, I'm going to put the link in the comments. If you guys want to read the whole thing, you're more than welcome to. Also, Natalie uh, mentioned opensecrets.com. I thought it was opensecrets.org. Uh, but it'll it'll show, um, you know, lobbyists and uh, corporate donations and such. That's correct. It's a, it's a very good, very good resource. Yeah, and there's uh, there's there's others. There's other resources yes. as well. Yeah. All right. So the government just admitted it doesn't really try to collect rich people's taxes. Who could have ever saw that coming? <laughs> oh, man. Um, by some estimates, the wealthiest 1% of Americans managed to avoid paying about a quarter trillion dollars of vote taxes every single year. Now, new government data shows that audits of the super-rich and large corporations have had a new low, leaving billions of dollars of uncollected taxes at precisely a moment when lawmakers say new revenue is needed to fund infrastructure and climate investments. Um, so, these figures were compiled by Syracuse University. that show in the last eight years, there has been a 72% drop in the number of audits in those making more than $1 million. In all, 98% of those making more than $1 million did not face an audit last year. There's been a 55% drop in corporate audits. In 2012, almost all corporate giants were audited. In 2020, almost two-thirds of those corporations were not subjected to audits. Amid this decline uh, in scrutiny of the rich, a letter to the Biden administration from 88 progressive groups pointed out, quote, since 2011, audit rates for millionaires who are disproportionately white have dropped more than twice as much for uh, as for taxpayers earning the or claiming the earned income tax credit who are disproportionately people of color. Audit coverage is now the heaviest in many low income majority black counties. And again, this is from Newsweek. This yeah. is from yeah. a capitalist <laughs> rag. Correct. You can't get much more mainstream either. I would not have even considered using a CNN or a Newsweek source uh, two years ago. But ironically, Newsweek is the, the one that is talking about this. Yeah, and... Um, it's it's a yeah. Never mind. I was gonna say some bullshit about about just gonna take a, a a mile or two for the for the ship to stop because of the former administration. But the reality is, is anything gonna really change? No, and that's what I'm. I, I'm glad to see that a few people are starting to see it. But like, 
nothing was ever seriously good. He said, he told his corporate donors, who are the people that really matter, mind you, he told his corporate donors, quote, nothing will fundamentally no, change. Nothing will change. He did say that. He did say that. And I realized that he likely said that as a uh, means in which to ease the market's tensions in order to ease the 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 worried minds of the reverse mortgage contemplators. <laughs> Sorry. I, I can't help but take a swipe at the elderly, even though I'm a rapidly approaching the, that demographic, but um, I get it, right? The nervous white folks, right? That's who you're speaking to. <laughs> now you got nothing to lose. When you're poor, you have nothing to fucking lose. Yeah. Do yeah. what thou willst. Um, so this is another story about uh, UBI, actually. Stockton, actually, like, they already did it. Oakland is just now starting their pilot program. Stockton already did it for two years. Um, and I'm not going to read through the entire thing, but essentially... Um, it's an interview with a guy that is talking about what he found. Correct. Um, and I, the, the whole transcript is pretty enlightening. However, I don't feel the need to read the whole thing. He's talking about how $500 allowed people to handle emergencies. Um, that $500 allowed people to get healthcare or mental health treatment or, uh, they saw decreased depression. They saw stress, uh, like cortisol levels, literal stress levels decreased. We saw that anxiety decreased. Um, according to the Kessler scale, comparable to clinical trials of Prozac. Who would have thought that money is the best medicine for poverty? Um, I am going to drop the link in the comments, though. I encourage everybody to read it, but frankly we just don't have the time to read the entire transcript on the air that's right folks we are on the air this is the best time of all to consider supporting our patreon to consider using four we are many as a coupon code <laughs> Tell me about Bernie. Well, Tell me about our beautiful boy. He's introducing some bills to hike some taxes. Oh, he's I'm trying to get killed, isn't he? Oh, man. If there's any one assassination that would make somebody a martyr. <laughs> uh, I, I will just float his corpse around and we'll have send it. Or we'll run it for president just like weekend at Bernie's. It'll be... 2024 at Bernie's. I mean, I would probably still trust Bernie's corpse more than I trust Joe Biden. I'd agree. <laughs> anyway. Um, so he proposed fresh tax increases on corporations and the wealthiest Americans on Thursday, part of a push to both uh, a push both to cut inequality and front fund sprawling government programs. I don't like how they worded that. Sprawling government programs, you mean taking care of our infrastructure. 
Yeah, I, 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 yeah. By the way, folks, government isn't bad. Government doesn't autom- automatically equal auto bad. We need government. We need processes in which to manage our affairs. We need processes in which to manage our safety. We need processes in which to manage our health. When you have a large population of human beings gathered together in a giant clump transacting business, we need some governance over that. That is the definition of government. Governance. We're not getting what we're paying for. I mean, that being said, personally, I would like to see locally implemented systems that are similar to like the the setup of the Paris Commune rather than something like we have in Washington. Sewer socialists. We will do, I will do a breakout. We'll probably try to keep it to about 30 minutes in which I'll I'll, I'll outlay the sewer socialists. And I believe that the core tenets of what they executed successfully, highly successfully, I might add, are a reasonable template for socialism going forward. So if you're interested in what I'm talking about and you have no idea and you want to do some prep, Google the sewer socialists. So, um, Natalie said, good news with Bernie all over the place. He has been a busy man. We actually have, Bernie has kind of sprinkled into our program in a couple spots today, um, including power of a strike. Oh, he's really trying to get on the, on the list, huh? The CIA. Oh yeah. And, and see, that's the whole thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have issues with some decisions that Bernie Sanders has made, but he has made it perfectly clear who he is fighting for and who he is fighting against for 40 plus years. His voting record for the whole time stands by that. Just because he backed somebody that we all can't stand for president doesn't mean that he's not going to continue to be the thorn in the side of the same man that he helped get elected for his entire presidency. Well, and I mean, really, and a thorn in the side to the entire establishment in the Senate, really. I mean, he might not be able to stop things that he wants to stop solely by himself, but he can certainly make it a pain in the ass. Gigantic pain, correct. Um, so... Strike me. Well, hold on. One plan uh, was to hike the corporate tax rate to 35% and aims to deter companies from taking profits offshore to pay less. Um, I'll have to see specifics on what that means, but I don't I don't know how they would enforce that, I guess is what I'm getting at. But um, that's basically undoing Trump's corporate tax cut. Uh, the other proposal uh, from the Senate Budget Committee chairman, I never get tired of reading that, aims to make the richest Americans pay more. It sets up a progressive estate tax, which would start with a levy of 45% on estates valued between $3.5 million and $10 million and would rise as high as 65% for estates valued above $1 billion. And just, uh, you know, so we don't get overheard by a libertarian that freaks out that their grandpa's going to, you know, like lose their 20 grand in savings that they have to give to the grandkid. No. No, three and a half million dollars or more. Anyway, 
We have a tax code which enables the very, very richest people in America and the largest corporations to avoid paying their, their share of taxes. That has got to change. Um, so the estate tax plan was co-sponsored by Kirsten Gillibrand, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Jack Reed, and Chris Van Hollen. And uh, Jimmy Gomez will introduce a version of the bill in the House, while Representative uh, Jan Schakowsky will put forward the corporate tax plan in the House. Um, and the whole hearing was to push for higher taxes <clears throat> on the wealthy. So I guess what I'm trying to say is he's putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah. He wasn't like, okay, we're here to talk about it. He was like, okay, we're here to fucking do something about it. Yeah, I, I see that. I would have to agree. Fucking Mitch McConnell. I don't quote. I don't think there's going to be any enthusiasm on our side for a tax increase. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, he doesn't think that at all. Hasn't even entered his mind. Uh, witnesses on Thursday included Abigail Disney, the granddaughter of uh, Walt Disney Company co-founder Roy Disney, and an advocate for higher taxes on the wealthy. She supported the new bill Sanders introduced Thursday. She's been consistent in that message. She has. I'm actually surprised. When I first heard about her advocating for higher taxes, I frankly thought she was trying to save her, uh, save herself from going to the guillotine. But she's kind of been on it for a while now. Yeah, uh, probably the last 10 years. Maybe maybe longer. It, it, it might have been right after Occupy, but it was about that ballpark time frame. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, like Democrats are going to have to resolve their differences about how much to raise taxes. Joe Biden has backed hiking the corporate tax rate to 28% rather than returning it to 35%. Some, uh, some leftist, we, some socialist we have in office right now. And, yeah. Biden, and Biden wants to restore the top income tax rate to 39.6. Um, obviously, that was not addressed in the bills that Bernie put forth on the 25th. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that it isn't on the agenda. Um, and then we're going to go into power of a strike. Yeah, we should have like applause. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to start this off with a picture. That is a um, that is a union rally, a an Amazon union rally in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, of course I don't have to introduce Bernie. That's what the first line of my notes are. Why did I do that? Uh, he, <laughs> he said, "Quote: If you succeed here, it will spread all over this country." Uh, from a stage set up on a Southside parking lot behind the office of the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union in Birmingham. Quote, they know that it is not only workers here who are sick and tired of outrageous working conditions. A union is not going to solve it all, but what it does is allow you a seat at the table. Votes will be counted Tuesday in the election, which will decide whether workers will be represented by the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Uh, this is... I just pretty much loaded this with quotes from his speech. Quote, 
when you go against one of the largest corporations in the world and you do it alone, you have no power. But when you stand together in solidarity, you can negotiate for a better workday. Sanders noted that CEO Jeff Bezos, worth $180 billion, is the richest man in the world, yet Amazon distribution uh, center employees work in an overheated conditions and are punished for taking more than two brief bathroom breaks in a 10-hour shift and barely have enough time to eat lunch. That's why we talk about Bezos bottles, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, because they're not allowed to go take a piss. That's not a joke. Uh, quote, enough really is enough. How much money do the richest people in this country require? How much in profits do the largest corporations really need? And he said the union vote will send a message. And uh, this is our last Bernie quote of the, uh, as I said, it's mostly Bernie quotes. This is the last one. Uh, quote, so what is this about today is to say to the large, powerful, profitable corporation, quote, treat your workers with respect and with dignity. We're not dealing with a mom and pop operation here. We're dealing with a trillion dollar corporation that makes huge profits that can certainly provide. Did I did I do huge right? Did I get yeah, that? You Hell yeah. <laughs> that can certainly provide the kind of wages and benefits that working people desperately need. That's why Bernie was the compromise. This is the bare minimum. I would agree. Um, and uh, another power of a strike news, Tesla. Uh, hold on, there's more comments. Yeah, go ahead. Let's, uh... Natalie said, I was heartbroken and then angry that he dropped out and then literally felt sick wanting burners to follow Biden. Still processing it. I think I try to understand why he stayed in the party, but still, sucks. Technically, he's not in the party. Let's not forget that. Uh, he's, he's, he's maintained his, his candidacy as an independent, right? And, and maintains his affiliation as independent, correct? Yes. Yeah. He caucuses with the Democrats and he... Yes. He tried to infiltrate their party and they shut him down. Well, you know, it's, they did the same thing to Ron Paul. Yeah. Um, and, and they tolerate Rand, even though apparently they're... Uh, I don't, I don't get it. Okay, so Ron Paul was part of the beginning of my like political journey. Obviously, it's not where I was meant to end up because there's nothing to that ideology outside of the government should leave us the fuck alone. But there was, it just became perverted over time. Agreed. But if you listen to Ron Paul talk, you know, 2008 or whatever, and then you listen to Rand Paul talk today, it's not the same message. It's really not. No, and I wonder what happened other than Lou Rockwell. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think and- what happened is that the newsletter became a powerful fundraising instrument. Uh, it was easy to to get at least the senior Paul uh, as a spokesman, you know, because his predecessors, Harry Brown and others, they were not, believe me, they're not charismatic people. You know, these guys were, I refer to them as bow-tied academics, economists. 
Yeah. Natalie mentioned AOC uh, saying, I, I keep hearing more and more bad on AOC, and I really hope it's just propaganda. I, I think a lot of it's propaganda. I think a lot of it's uh, she put her fucking foot in her mouth. I mean, she was saying the socialists, besides the DSA, because, you know, they're a funnel into the Democratic Party. Besides the DSA, there is no groups that are doing anything um, to help the working class. But the Democratic Party is. She literally bashed socialists and praised Biden's administration in the same sentence. I don't remember the exact quote, so I'm not going to try to. I remember looking at the exact quote and thinking that could be taken two, two or three ways. I don't think she definitively endorsed the Democratic Party and said, this is the way and the light forward. People follow me. I think, and nor did she say that no other party, including the DSA, was up to any good. I, I think that what she said wasn't definitively DSA enough. Yeah, I would agree. But I mean... Therefore, For her if it's not what I want to hear, then it's the opposite of what I want to hear. This is what I call as, this is what I call as, is all or nothing politics. And this was taught to us by the Trump administration. We need not to follow in, into these traps continuously. I mean, okay, I don't disagree with that. However, in terms of, okay, I take voting records very seriously. In terms okay, of- Okay, fair enough. In terms of her actual voting record, what of her campaign promises has she actually fought for? I have no idea, because I'm ignorant. And I that's mean, a great question to ask, because I can't answer it. I mean, I can't answer it as well as I should to be making the statement that I'm making, but I feel like she hasn't, she hasn't really done a whole lot. I mean, I'm not saying that she's one of the more right-wing people by any means. She's not, but she does call Pelosi mama bear, and I have problems with that. <laughs> I don't necessarily have problems with calling Nancy Pelosi mama bear. In fact, I don't have problems as much with Nancy Pelosi as I do, do other Democrats. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I am suspect of what they're saying about AOC for the same reason I'm suspect about what they're saying about Nancy Pelosi. For the same reason I'm suspect about what they're saying about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I see a woman in power and I see a lot of men who don't like that shit. And they're gonna say a lot of things that are provocative doesn't mean they're true. That's fair. That's fair. So, I guess, I, I mean, honestly, I've I've mostly used Pelosi's voting record and net worth as fair my, enough. Is my reasons I, for my dislike. You know what? And I, it, I, I get your point. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. You know, it, it, that this is a, this is a walks like a duck, talks like a duck thing, right? But I think AOC is still young, bright, and, and very publicly identifies as a DSA candidate in every election she's ran in. Yeah. So yeah. Rashida Tlaib too. I mean, these are, these are young women that are easy. I mean, look how long. I, how long. I have never said anything bad about her. I was no, I know, man. I, AOC, I, I do drag on sometimes. I'm just, I'm just cool. I'm just, it's cool. I'm just, and I think you should. I think it's great to question these folks. I mean, I think the, 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 the Democrat that's 
on the on either floor of Congress, the the registered Democrat that I have the most respect for is probably. Um, why did I just draw a fucking blank? Oh my god! <laughs> I totally. What's did. her name? The 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 Black Lives Matter organizer. Oh, the lady from Georgia. She called Trump. No, no, it was Missouri, I think, wasn't it? She fucking called uh, Trump the white supremacist in chief Ooh. on her first day on the floor of the House. Ooh, I don't know who that is. Is it the why? No, it's she's uh she's she's black. We talked about her. Uh, uh when Cory Bush. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Missouri Congresswoman Cori Bush. You want to know what's funny? I googled white supremacist in chief, and the first thing that came up was Representative Cori Bush calls Thank Trump you. white supremacist in chief. Yeah. From yep. The Cut, from KMOV, from CNN, from LatinoJustice.org, from NBC, from The Independent, from Fox News, <laughs> from The Rolling Stone. Oh, man. I'm just saying, folks, look out for these people who are overly critical of women in powerful positions. Look out for people who are openly critical of people of color in powerful positions. I have not found anything to be critical of Cori Bush on at this moment, and that's that's why I plugged it like that. Right on. Right on. Okay, no worries. We're good. Anyway, so Tesla was found guilty of union busting. Come on, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> this is the asshole who said, yeah, you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. That's so totally cool, bro. And, 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 and ignoring the fact that it costs more electricity to manufacture a single Bitcoin than it does to power a fleet of Teslas for a year. Man. Fuck Elon Musk. Having said that, we do have a special Elon Musk donor level. You go to Four We Are Many's Patreon at patreon.com slash four we are many. You will see Elon that you we have set aside a special contribution level for you. The rest of you, you get you get pedestrian donation amounts. <laughs> oh god. So in 20, 2018, Elon wrote on Twitter, quote. Nothing stopping Tesla team at our car plant from voting union could do so tomorrow if they wanted. But why pay union dues and give up stock options for nothing? That tweet began an investigation into the company by the National Labor's Relation Board into union busting. Now, three, three years later, the board has found that Musk not only violated federal labor, labor law with that tweet alone, but that he also illegally fired an employee, Richard Ortiz, for protected union activity. Ortiz was part of a campaign called Fair Future at Tesla, which is an ongoing campaign by the UAW to organize the electric car company. In their decision, the National Labor Relations Board found that Twusks Twusks meet. (laughs) Fair enough. We're good. Musk's tweet went above a typical statement that the company wants to stay union-free and was seen as threatening. This was exacerbated by the fact that Tesla considers communications from Musk, who founded the company, as official company communications. That is kind of fucked, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. I get I get why, but wow, they don't do that to anybody else. No, uh, you're right. 
It is illegal to threaten to take away pay or benefits from workers if they are found to be organizing a union. That's not the first thing that I read out of that tweet three years ago when I read it, but I completely understand how they came to that conclusion. Why give up stock options? Who's given up anything? That's not why you form a union. Anyway, so um, in their decision, the NLRB ordered Tesla to offer Ortiz his job back and compensate him for lost earnings, benefits, and any adverse tax consequences that resulted from his firing. Tesla is also required to revise their confidentiality agreements that are given to employees to take out a section that bars workers from speaking to the media without explicit uh, written permission from the company. National labor law, quote, protects employees when they speak with the media about working conditions, labor disputes, or other terms and conditions of employment. I can't believe it's taken them this long to go after Tesla, honestly. Every time they do, the stock goes up. Yeah. They got a market cap of $600 billion versus GM's 80 or 60. Uh, there is a, tw uh, a comment from Johnny pertaining to donations and, uh, Dean, that is your area. What is it? So I'm going to let it? you handle it. He what said, is? I tried to donate and it got stuck on the zip code section and I never got a confirmation. Will you check on that for me so I can give? Well, is that Patreon or PayPal? First of all, it sounds like PayPal. That's I what I think thought. Patreon does that. So, um, so that's going to bring us out of power of a strike. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got some figures and facts, right? Oh, oh Tesla, yeah. Tesla's market cap is, which means it's what Wall Street thinks is the sum total of a corporation's value. All assets, individuals, product, inventory, contracts, accounts receivable. Uh, $586.75 billion is their market cap. GM's market cap is $80.6 billion. Now, let's just, real world here, let's just look how many cars in 2020 did General Motors produce. It delivered 492,489 cars. Tesla produced, drum roll please, 180,000 cars. So I, I'm, I see a cognitive, cognitive dissonance. Now, I'm not saying that the entire Tesla product business model, uh, uh, it's, It, it, it's it's entire it's entire uh, uh, hustle is a scam, but I'm saying it's a fucking scam. So it is. So I don't know. Uh, I can tell you this. Tesla's vehicles are powered by 
battery IP. It was developed by General Motors and Daewoo jointly. Samsung had a hand in it too, so did LG. Every single car is built on templated and GM owned supply lines right down to the bolt, right down to the brackets, right down to the snappy things that hold the paneling together. Just virtually every component of that car and it's producing cars in a General Motors facility. It's a former Numi plant that built Geo's with Toyota in a joint venture between GM and Toyota called the, the NUMI, which is North American United Motors and something incorporated. They produced the, when you saw your uh, Geo Metros and your Geo Trackers and your Pontiac Vibes and your Toyota Matrixes, those were all cars that were made basically Frankenstein monsters of GM and Toyota technology. Some cases it was the best of both worlds. In some cases it, it was literally the worst of both worlds. So, but I digress. Let me answer a little message really quick. And let me check the comments real quick because I think Rob stepped out, which means that he'll be right back, which is fine. I can continue to rip on Tesla. Listen, I'm not a Tesla hater. I'm not an electric car hater. I do have my issues with electric versus combustion engine. Anytime you put a, a big shit ton of flammable of hydrocarbons into a metal box and they slosh around exploding, you know, that sounds like a problem. But honestly, for the power, even though we've got our whole petrochemical industry, which is something I could riff about for hours, I will not, mercifully. I still think that the, if the goal is to, is eco-socialism eco or eco-responsibility, uh, you're, I'm sorry, but I, I believe that your gasoline engines still produce the safest, cleanest alternative. Now, if we could divert the manufacturer's attention away from the horsepower arms race with the horsepower war and make, making cars increasingly more powerful. Uh, and for example, I, I mean to say that between the two vehicles in my driveway, I have nearly a thousand pounds of at the wheel horsepower available to me. That's a lot of power for me and my wife, right? If they could turn that attention to fuel economy and savings, we may be able to literally disrupt any notion that electric vehicle power is, 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 is a responsible pathway to the future. In my opinion, unless that power is generated through ecological means, you're, it's just as dirty as pumping gas in your car. So I don't disagree with that, but, I, and, and I mean, for that matter, lithium mining is a fucking problem. And that's a disaster so. too, right? Um, but that being said, I mean, it's not, in my eyes, it's not that cut and dry because there are alternatives for batteries. No, Tesla's not using them yet. No, other companies aren't either. But, I mean, hemp batteries have been proven and tested in a lab at this point. It's time for real world. And uh, those are renewable. And, I yeah, you're totally right about manufacturers focusing on horsepower. And I've never understood that because, I mean, electric cars give you more torque, period. I, I, I mean... mean Seriously, between two cars in my driveway, I've got nearly 
I wouldn't say thousands, more like, so let me do quick math. Okay, 19 divided by 71. And uh, I do math very slowly, folks. Give Rob a chance to pull his next article up and align himself in the comments. <laughs> uh, no, it's really more like, you know, I got like three, what is the, what is the, uh, what is the Nissan? It's 20, 2018 Nissan uh, Murano. It's about 300 horsepower. Just my twenty six, my twenty sixteen Rogue only has like one seventy four or something like that, which is reasonable. I mean, that's reasonable for a car. I think that's reasonable for the. Honestly, I think that's a reasonable amount of horsepower for this, for for our Murano. And then I have a, I have a heavy duty truck. I have a big truck, and obviously that's a, that's not a hot rod or a or a you know, a show truck or a vanity truck, that, that's a work vehicle. It's a blunt instrument. It's like having you, a heavy you mean, hammer. You mean it's not like lifted with brush guards and no. fucking bar light? No, it, no, oh. it, it hauls, uh, it hauls iron and wood and it's a work truck. It's a work vehicle, but it's still sitting on damn near 500 horsepower. I don't, you know, and it's not modified in any way. It's, it's the way it was delivered from the factory. It's a 2012 GMC. 2500 HD and it hauls wrestling ring and wrestlers and wrestling garbage and it probably can pull my house if it was on a wheels. <laughs> I believe that. And for those mean, folks uh, were not the, aware uh, and, and don't get me wrong part of it was a stunt because it was a train on tracks but the new electric Ford F150 I saw that literally moved a million pound train. I saw that. And, and, and you know what, it is a, it is a capability of being a generator in and of itself. So you could literally pull your trailer and you can idle your truck and power your trailer silently, cleanly. That's crazy. Cool, man. I mean, I don't know. I've been talking about, uh, you know, when it's time to get a new car, which I mean, I have a 2016 that has 114,000 miles on it. I hope I get, you know, double that out of it. <laughs> but. And you will. With that particular model, you probably will. More than double. I'm hoping so. But when it is time, I'm hoping to be able to go electric. And I like the versatility of a truck in terms of like you know being able to go places in it and uh being able to haul things with it so you know so, i i doubt so, that it'll i so doubt that it'll be in my price range but i would totally enjoy having an electric f-150 so elon's response to that is instead of giving you a modest truck with an enormous amount of flexibility and capability like that ford vehicle his response is to give you a thousand horsepower monster that isn't even a truck; it's a toy. Time out, I though. I, I mean, you know, like the 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 security glass and the rolled steel. I mean, that thing's going to stop small <laughs> arms fire. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, and the angles <laughs> might make it very difficult to be tracked on radar. I agree. However, however, let's face it: none of the Tesla products are there to be economical. They're status statements, and yep. they're displays of wealth and power. And yep. I think that's obscene. I've been in a P1000 Tesla that's been floored. It is literally a supernatural experience. I have been in rare muscle cars that were nowhere near as fast and as 
powerful as those vehicles are. That's obscene. Yeah, they are. They they really are obscene. They call uh one other one other settings um ludicrous launch mode. Ludicrous mode. And there's another <laughs> one even above that now. I guess I don't. I forgot oh what they call god, it. Oh my god! What? Yeah. Why you know, do you the... need anything faster than that? They're already. <laughs> I mean, people are taking stock Teslas to the drag strips and smoking fucking everything. Yes, they are, and I, and and the little kid in me kind of thinks that thinks that's pretty cool. I ain't gonna lie, it is kind of cool, but it really is going in the opposite direction of where we probably should be. <laughs> yeah, you know, a hundred and sixty thousand dollar vanity supercar is probably not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, like and then the Model Y or no, the Model Three was supposed to yes be the uh, more pedestrian version, right? Right, and I mean, like it is, but is it? Because if you want uh, anything, still by the more, time you get it, by the time you build it out, and by the time you wait for it, by the time you put a huge down payment on it and wait in line for it, you're still looking at like fifty, fifty-five thousand. Yeah, you know, which is you know pretty much about what the sticker price on your truck that your electric Ford truck the one that'll be a generator for your camper you know on about a, a gallon and a half worth of gas silently and cleanly power your camper and your neighbor's camper well yeah people in texas were fucking powering their homes with it yeah and ford man I hate that they capitalized on it because I hate capitalism, but from that perspective, I can't even blame them. They got, re- they, they got reports from fucking owners that they were, you know, able to stay warm and safe during a fucking event like that due to their fucking Ford F-150. Of course, they're going to capitalize on that. You know, there's a story. I forgot to bring this up. You know, I think it was in the 70s, mid to early 70s, uh, city of Montreal. Um, took an electric mo- uh, locomotive. They lost power similarly to uh, uh, Houston, Dallas, whatever. Um, they dragged an electric locomotive engine literally down the street, and tore the street up and everything, and wired the city up to it and powered the city until the power came back on. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty badass. Oh, speaking of, look where we are. And you're on mute, buddy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Whatever, Dean. Sorry. See, folks, the difference between Rob and I is he'll hit his vape and mute himself politely. I will not. I totally like skipped the whole section on accident. I don't know what I did. I think I hit the space bar. Anyway, <laughs> six months of summer could be the norm by 2100, study finds. Global warming will change the lengths of the four seasons to such a point that the northern hemisphere could see six month summers by 2100. Winters could last less than two months a year while spring and, sp- spring and fall would be similarly shorter. That would have a worldwide impact. It would disturb (coughs) agriculture and animal behavior. 
It would increase the number of heat waves, storms, wildfires. Tropical mosquitoes carrying vir viruses would migrate north, causing outbreaks of diseases that we potentially haven't even seen. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the article... <laughs> Uh, Emily ended up taking the part out, but I wanted to touch on it. There's a expert here in Arizona that disagrees that that summers in Arizona will ever be six months long, and they're already like four and a half. So I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. But Emily, I want to go on record saying as I do not agree with Rob for dis. I mean, he's dissenting right now. He's on his own. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. <laughs> Problem. I'm with you all the way, bud. <laughs> A federal judge, Michael Watson, blocked further oil and gas extraction on Ohio's only national forest. Um, I'd say that's a bit of good news. Over 40,000 acres of Ohio's Wayne National Forest was open to fracking last year. Good old Trump. Um, it would destroy Indiana's bat habitat, pollute watersheds, pollute water supplies, endanger other federally protected species in the area. Um irresponsible the, the ruling rebuked u.s forest service and bureau of land management for failing to consider threats to public health endangered species and watersheds and uh the ruling prohibits new drilling permits surface disturbance on existing leases and prohibits water withdrawals from the little muskingum river for already approved drilling so if they're gonna if they're gonna frack for already approved drilling, they can no longer take their water from the river. That's a pretty big step, I think. Anyway, no, Emily, I do appreciate your help. Moving on. Sorry, I just switched your microphones. Likely story. <laughs> what it really was. Um, so we are into combating fascism. Ah. Uh, you lost your headphone. You can't hear anything no. I'm saying right now. Yeah, I can. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I'm good. Oh. You're good, man. Yep. Whatever. All right. So uh, Ron Weiser refused to resign um, as criticism of horrifically reckless comments mounts. <laughs> I never heard about this. Okay, go ahead. At a meeting for the North Oakland Republican Club, uh, Ron Weiser said, quote, our job is now to soften up those three witches and have good candidates against them. Be ready for the next burning at the stake. Oh my God in heaven. And then he said that his words were say? taken out of context. So if you don't know, uh, this is all in Michigan. This is all the GOP of fucking right. course it is. Uh, the three witches he's referring to are three elected women, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, Dana Nessel, the attorney general, and Jocelyn Benson, secretary of state. That's correct. Ah, I remember. In a meeting about steps, what? Oh, steps the GOP should take, sorry, towards Peter Meyer and Fred Upton for voting to impeach Trump, Weiser said, quote, other than assassination, I have no other way than voting. 
You have to go out there and support their opponents. And then he later tweeted, quote, I made some comments that are clearly being taken out, taken out of context. <laughs> While I should have chosen my words more carefully, anyone who knows me understands I would never advocate for violence. Many fellow board members have urged for his resignation as his behavior does not align with the U of M values, but he refuses. Yeah. New York ended qualified immunity. Did you hear about that? I did. You want to talk about it? Not, not really. No. Not really. I don't know what you know. I mean, I, I do. I, 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 I mean, I kind of agree that I don't know. I don't know enough yet um, myself. Um, but I do know it's the first city in the country to do it. Um, the bottom line is, uh, and I'll sum up what I do know, if, if it's okay. Yeah. There has been uh, movement. This is more along the lines of holding police accountable or accountable for their behavior and instantiating some sorts of reform. Uh, New York City has notoriously been basically a safe haven for police and has been for the last hundred years. Let's not forget that the New York City Police Department is the, you know, the nation's police force and it always has been. Um, and believe that their, their, their numbers are, are staggering. There's hundreds of thousands of them. And uh, this measure enables uh, some accountability for them and removing some forms of immunity uh, from prosecution and removing some forms of liability uh, 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 from a civil standpoint from for being sued in civil court, whereas before it was not normal and pretty much basically impossible. So this was a city council action and probably has a greater impact on the entire let's change the way our law enforcement community helps us. That's the nicest way I can think of to put it. It is probably the biggest, uh, it's probably the biggest move towards police reform, if not the biggest. And that's what I know. And that's why I say I'm hesitant because it's huge and, 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 and it's an evolving story, and I don't know all of the details yet. I mean, this isn't very old, guys. This just happened here. What? Uh, when, when was the it? The 26th. Uh, yeah, like just, yes, exactly. Just recently. So that's what I know. Uh, and I think you did right. I think when people see the show notes, you'll see that we link to the local story, which I think is always best. Even if it's not full of detail, at least we can say that these are local reporters that are sitting in those city hall meetings, city council meetings, whatever. You know, I, I always like the local, local, local uh, uh, reporting better, if possible. Agreed. No. For that matter, if you are a independent journalist that does not have a platform, we are here for you. Yeah, I agree. No. Even if uh, it's not on our platform, we can also help you with your platform. True. Uh, critics argued scrapping the protection will make officers less aggressive in fighting crime. Great. That sounds great. 
City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, however, said, quote, it has been used to deny justice to victims of police abuse for decades. And after the vote, he tweeted, quote, rooted in our nation's history of systemic racism, qualified immunity denied Freedom Riders justice and has been used to deny justice to victims of police abuse for decades. It should never have been allowed, but I'm proud to, uh, that we took action today to end, it, to end it here in New York City. Like I said, it's big, and I don't want to screw up the details. And it's one of those things that we just dropped a stone in the water, and the, and the effects are starting to cascade out now. It's huge. And I said, the New York City Police Department is one of the, if not, it is the largest police force in the world, unless you count maybe China. And China has fewer citizens in prison than we do in like, what, eight times our population? I just made that up, but. Well, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about, how about eight times? Yeah. That's pretty accurate for uh, shooting from the hip. Yeah, that was totally hip fire. Oh, wow. 1.58 billion versus 330 million. That's a lot of people. Um, so also in New York, despite the objections of police unions, New York published the misconduct records of more than 83 thousand police officers yeah like i said hundreds of thousands of individuals right i mean and that's another big step um so th this basically was in response to uh last august um the new york civil liberties union released data that revealed more than three hundred twenty-three thousand. Misconduct complaints filed against more than 80,000 New York police officers just after police unions failed to block the records from being exposed in a federal appeals court. And, uh, well, now they're available to the public. I mean, that's there, there's more to the article, but that's pretty much the story. Um... So the New York City Civilian uh, Complaint Review Board published a new searchable database this month, and then the N NYPD provided its own database shortly thereafter. Um, but yeah, these are literally searchable documents, publicly available. This should be the norm, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, police unions were heavily against it. Who would have ever fucking guessed? Yeah, this has always been one of these uh, paradoxes for me, the police union versus, you know, organized labor in general. It's always been a paradox for me. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit uh, last week about cultural contradictions while we were reading the Little Red Book. Yes, we were. And that's a good, good use case. Um, Georgia legislator, a Georgia legislator was arrested. That was uh, State Representative Park Cannon. 
Um, basically for just standing there. Yep. She knocked on the governor's door as he signed a controversial elections bill, which we already talked about, in a closed-door ceremony. Um, she knocked on his door and got arrested. She was forcibly removed from the Capitol by two officers and uh, surrounded by more while repeatedly identifying herself as a legislator and was placed into a police car. So the reason that's important is because in the state of Georgia, it is illegal to arrest a legislator during a legislative uh, session. They are not immune from uh, arrest, but you cannot arrest them at the fucking Capitol. Pretty shameful. And if you've been paying attention to the story, you've been seeing the photographs of these men who did this in front of a portrait of a literal plantation. Uh, And you've seen the remixes of them being in hoods and other things that are kind of um, pretty much spot on, but I have a gift. A gift, that's funny, it's a video. Are you serious? No, you are not, represent. She's not under arrest. What is Under arrest for what? For trying to see something that our governor is doing? Our governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians and you're going to arrest an elected representative. Why does the governor have more power than the than a representative? Why are you arresting her? Stop arresting her. Why are you arresting her? Cite the violation. Cite the code. What is she in violation of? I want you to cite the code. Not doing, literally standing there. She is dragged out by a bunch of white men. Hmm. I don't have anything good to say about it, but she was charged with two misdemeanors under state law, obstruction of law enforcement, who I would say was obstructing government functions, but, you know, what do I know, and Mm. preventing or disrupting General Assembly. The disruption was the fucking cops. She was doing her job. That's all I have to say about that, because any more is going to get me in trouble. Not with us. Well, no, but with, you know, Zuckerberg and... (laughs) Yep. 
suddenly parlor didn't seem like such a terrible idea. It just hosted such a bunch of terrible people. What if the left were to take over parlor? Oh, <laughs> uh, it was attempted. It pretty much did. I don't know. I never, I never went on to parlor. I no. I was, I was good. I did because that's where the Q people were driven once Facebook decided that they didn't like the Q and on nonsense. So I follow, kept following them on Parlor, but I never got, uh, never really learned how my way around well enough before it got shut down. It seemed kind of weird and spammy to me. <laughs> Literally weird. Like I couldn't understand the interface really. Just it was poorly executed. And it, and it showed. So uh, Ralph Nader said Democrats ushered in an era of corporate fascism. Wow. And didn't he? That, didn't, uh, didn't they ever? I mean, I can't even. <laughs> Good on you, Ralph. Good on you. He didn't mince words at all. <laughs> Dang. Um, that is pretty heavy. So with Joe Biden in the White House and Democrats con controlling Congress and the Senate, Ralph Nader, the lifelong good government crusader and consumer advocate, issues a stark warning to progressives. <clears throat> the Democratic Party is still not on the side of working Americans, no matter what politicians, media pundits, and their corporate donors will have us think. The former Green Party presidential candidate has dedicated his life to putting pressure on America's most powerful corporate and political leaders. And while some ad activists are already uh, ready to let the Biden administration get away with ecocide, expanded drone wars, and other forms of murder, Nader is prepared to do no such thing. His mm -hmm. thorough and well-researched critiques, such as his recent piece on the Democrat-assisted corporate takeover of Medicare, are needed now more than ever. Um, on this week's installment of the Sheer Intelligence... Uh, the host, Robert Shear, I'm, I'm on this, his website right now, shearpost.com, asks Nader, what have you learned in these 60 years of being a consumer advocate and public intellectual? And he said, quote, one thing I've learned is that Democrats are on an infinite journey towards cowardliness because now they're getting credit for their $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, 100% financed on the shoulders of our children and grandchildren, without an, a single effort to rescind the Trump-era tax cuts that are at least $2 trillion over the 10 years since they were passed in 2017. Um, Nader points to the many institutional taboos that Democrats won't speak of, let alone challenge, such as tax cuts for corporations, tax cuts for the super-rich, outrageously bloated Pentagon budgets. Um, and they, he says that they may look better compared to the cruelest, most vicious Republicans, but they don't address any of the significant problems impacting Americans every day and that at the same time stifled dissent uh, from the progressive wing of the party. He argues that all of this is part of the system that we now live in thanks to both political parties selling out to corporate interests. Um, but Nader goes uh, even further from calling our current system corporate capitalism or socialism and labels it corporate fascism due to the fact that moneyed interests have strategic power over everything from our diets to our public lands. 
Here's the rub. It has never taken more than 1% active sc citizens scattered throughout the country representing or building the majority public opinion to change Congress on any number of agendas throughout history. That's about it, but I agree with everything he said. Whatever happened to Trish dialing in? Mm, good question. Nothing from what I can see. I think she's driving, incapacitated to call, perhaps. I mean, Don's not, though. <laughs> That's true. But they're together, right? Yeah. There you go. Don and Trish, if you can hear us, please join in, say hi, and then you can fuck off if you choose. I mean, not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> now we're diving into LGBTQ news. Um, the governor of Arkansas signed a bill letting doctors refuse to treat based on morality and religion i'm not even going to open the article the headline is self-explanatory i read it when i was putting these together and how the fuck can you be a doctor if you refuse to treat a patient based on fucking anything well they have historically relied upon the hippocratic oath and that the if they're i if they're they cannot treat a person if their uh, treatment is clouded by their own ideology. I'm aware of that, but I mean, so that goes to the doctors too. If the doctor's judgment's clouded by their own fucking ideology, they can't treat a patient. That's what I'm saying. Wow. That's, a, that's what I just said. Like the doctors themselves are saying, well, I don't like people of that persuasion and therefore I can't treat them. Because I don't like them. And if I don't like them, I shouldn't treat them. Well, and they I'm not going to do a good job. they shouldn't be doctors. That's where I'm at with it. So. But yet and still, right? <clears throat> How are we still here in 2021? Uh, uh, I, again, I blame the, the, the rock that Trump kicked. And all of the nasty things issued forth. That's fair. This is what we, this is what we are afraid of when we, all of us, you, me, and everyone hearing my voice, uh, postulated that it isn't Trump that was the worst thing. That what it's what might follow him. And have we not seen? Unless, of course, we are in the media reality distortion field that is simply provoking us because they're not selling enough coke like they used to under Trump, who said something provocative every 15 minutes. Yeah. But the reality is um, the LGBT community and that zip code will now receive less care or substandard care or no care as opposed to someone who is who does not identify as an LGBTQ type of person, whatever. 
So I guess what I'm trying to say is if your freedom of religion oppresses people, it's not a freedom. No, you know, isn't that interesting? It, it's a, it's, it's a, it's the uh, showdown of wills, right? It's a showdown of ideologies, and that's what freedom really represents. That's what I'm sorry to offend any constitutional fetishists that are listening here. If you're still a constitutional fetishist, I would argue you're immature, and you need to grow the fuck up. That is the real subversion of the Constitution. It it enables the most powerful ideology to always win. This is also why um, why no matter uh, how repugnant it is. This is also why some left-wing authoritarian states have placed limitations on things like the freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Free, can, or free speech can lead to oppression, and we see it every fucking day. Well, it's I mean, I, I, rules, I'm totally... trouble if your majority is a pack of dumbasses. <laughs> yeah. So I don't mean to sound like an elitist liberal. I don't think that people are dumbasses, but I do think that we tend to collectively uh, make decisions that hurt minority communities. I would not disagree with that. Now we're getting into our well-armed proletariat segment. Oh, do we have a do we have a hot gun of the day or no? The working class firearm of the week. Yeah, hot piece of the day. Um, oh, yeah, look at there. The top one. Fuck, let's see if I get this right. If it's I remember correctly. Very large capacity. Both of them are. Uh, it's basically the same gun. They're both made, made by Mossberg. The top one, if I remember correctly, is the Maverick 88, which is a cheaper version, essentially, a Mexican made um, Mossberg 500, 12 gauge. Oh, all right. I, I felt like we probably all, uh, in terms of our little group, have. I, I I'd say it's probably pretty difficult to assume that none of us have shot a Mossberg five hundred. <laughs> I mean, my dad has one. Um, no, I I think I have. They're 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 really okay. So when they're we're not looking, subtle. they're definitely not subtle. But I mean, my my thought was home defense. Right. I think they're a terrible home defense weapon. Unless you modify them heavily. Why do you say that? Well, they're big. They are big. And, and they're big, long sticks. And if you're trying to go around a corner and ever get a hallway or t- or take aim, at it, yes, I agree, you can. But, you know, you've seen the shot groups, man. I mean, at 25, 30 feet, right, inside of a house, so you're talking about less space. There is room for error, believe it or not. I you've mean, seen, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Know, uh, and uh, you're, now you got to wield a three foot long iron and wood stick and, and make sure that doesn't bump in the wall and that, and that you don't fumble it. And it's, it's just, it just introduces, in my opinion, multiple points of failure in home defense. I don't know what the perfect home defense weapon is. I would say it's probably a revolver, even I mean, though it has a limited capacity, but it's the simplest thing to operate in an emergency. I agree. I agree with that. Um, that's why I chose a revolver for the first pistol we did. <laughs> mm, got it right on. You know, I, although 
I think the shotgun may be an anti-violence measure. Once that's seen and heard, that might be enough of a deterrent that no blood is spilled. That's actually what I was going to say, is when you hear a 12-gauge get racked, you turn around and you fucking run. I don't I think care everybody how big knows you that are. sound. Yeah. If you don't, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, it would stop me cold, you know. Uh, that sound has stopped me cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But no, and I mean, I think I, I think that you stumbled upon... I think that it's best for home defense because you hear that fucker rack and you're gone. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be in... Uh, it actually might provoke a lack of violence or less violence even. I think the sight of it and the sound of it may be enough of a deterrent to de-escalate or at least put you in control of a situation. However, so, if you are in the emergency, if you're already under fire, if you're already in a do or die situation, um, my advice is practice with it. A lot. Till it becomes instinctive in its movement and in its operation. I had it backwards, though. The Mossberg 500 is the... Top one. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I thought the capacity, like, wow. A lot of shells in that thing. Yeah, the 88 holds 5 plus 1. The Mossberg 500 holds... Nine, I bet, yeah. That says five plus one. There ain't no way. Because when I was looking at this before, I caught, I could have sworn it was eight plus one. That's what I thought, nine. I don't know what the legality is here locally or for you about shotgun. Or, well, yeah, I mean, that could be why it's showing me at an Arizona Cabela's a five plus one. Yeah, that might be a local legislated capacity. I mean, to be fair, though, if you can't kill what you're trying to kill with six shots from a 12-gauge, you're dead already anyway. Yeah, an old man told me, if you're going to buy a shotgun, make sure it's a single shot. Why? Because then your wife can't shoot twice. <laughs> shoot at you twice. <sighs> Damn. Anyway, the point is, it's, it's, okay, and remember when we're talking about the Mossberg 500, we're talking about a rifle, or not even a rifle, we're talking about a shotgun, even more simple, that is intended to be taken camping, hunting, in, you know, terrible <laughs> fucking conditions. Um, Correct. Drop right. it in the fucking yeah. mud and Dirty. pick it back up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And it'll last a lifetime. And the Mossberg 500 itself is about $350. If that's too much for you, there's uh, the Maverick 88, which is essentially the same gun for about $100 less. I was going to say, I think that's like you could have that for $299. Or, uh, yeah, not $199. Yeah. You probably could, yeah. Suggested retail price is $250. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, you can get that for $199. I'm almost sure of it. And the rounds are plentiful and cheap. They can be had at Myers or your local uh, Walmart or your local uh, sport goods or even hardware uh, store. Hardware store, yes. That's where I bought. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I didn't buy my first gun because I was a literal child. But <laughs> that's where my uh, the shotgun that I still have that uh, I don't have out in Arizona with me. 
That's where that came from, was the hardware store. They're easy to disassemble. They're easy to clean. Yep. They're easy to maintain. They are highly effective in, I would say, in a situation in nature. If you were to be camping and you encounter an animal that has a greater capability of uh, than you do, or your or your pet dog does, the, that's a nice piece to have with you. Um, Wolf, bear, coyote, uh, you have a better chance. Well, I mean, it will take down a wolf or a coyote. I mean, a bear, you might need a couple of those six shots. You might need a couple shots, to, to but I think that uh, bears, uh, uh, behaviorally are trying to get by like us so maybe uh maybe the uh maybe the concussion is enough to run them away i don't know i mean i i honestly feel like a warning shot would probably do better with a bear than actually shooting it if you shoot it it's probably going to try to fight back yeah it's going to get real desperate isn't it yeah not saying i don't know firsthand i don't know i have had experience with a wild boar and i can tell you right now you can shoot them guys all you want. They're coming. They're coming for you. <laughs> They're coming. And if, 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 if you run out of rounds before they run out of steam, they're going to get you. <laughs> them guys are really nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have heard stories about wild boars. I have never encountered one myself, and I'm thankful for that. And I had one keep me and about five people in a tree for the better part of a day because we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't, we were defenseless essentially. I had a crossbow with tiny darts, you know, like those eight, eight inch, 10 inch darts. Then things were literally bouncing off of that guy. Oh, wow. <laughs> we sat there until people came for us and the sound of the truck ran them away. Wow. That's... We were stuck up there for hours. We all had it. We were dying. We were thirsty and hungry, and we were worried that we were going to be up there overnight even. But that was in uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. Wow. So Natalie said, I am small, and years ago I tried a 12-gauge. It didn't actually knock me on my ass, but darn near. It is heavy. It is big. It does kick. It's a shock. It does, <laughs> but you can, learn to, you can learn to manage that. You can learn to you can, yes. your body does become accustomed and can uh, adapt to, to that. I've seen, I've seen 12 year old girls who weighed literally 65 pounds shoot 12 gauges. Successfully. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm from a small town of fucking 1200 people. I mean, it was not that uncommon to, to see small children shooting, you know, big, like big, 12 big shotguns. Yep. Or yep. at least a 20 gauge, you know, like, I mean, that's the, the preferred, I would say the preferred hunting weapon of choice up there is shotguns because they're so versatile and so reliable and so rugged. I would argue that rounds number one through 25 or so are going to be an event. After that, you will learn how to, how to manage that weapon. Yep. And it'll become uh, intuitive. Yep. Well said. But as a home defense, uh, you're in a do or die situation. I would not be the gun I reach for personally. Well, I mean, right now my other option is uh, 
an AK, which is also about three feet long. Yeah, yeah, but you got uh, a couple dozen rounds in that, I'm sure, plus plus some. Well, I mean, the magazine that I keep in case I ever need it in the middle of the night, the one that I keep partially loaded is only got 10 rounds in it. Okay. But I do have 30 round magazines. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, and it's another big, it's another three and a half, three foot metal stick with wooden accoutrement. It's an awkward and ungainly thing to try to manage in a hallway or around a corner or, or around. That's not a... to say it can't be done, though. I mean, remember the, uh, the, the Vietnamese use those in extremely dense vegetation. Yeah, they did. And, and they well, did. of course, mine's American and there's Russian, but. Yeah, well, they did, and they had motivation, you know, and training and experience. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, I, and I guess it's important that we stumbled upon that because I recommend that anyone who owns a gun or is near a gun or has thought about buying a gun should be trained in gun safety. Frankly, I think with the amount of guns that we have in our society, it should be taught in high school. But that being said, learn. Oh, yeah, and if you don't know and you don't know who to learn from, <laughs> literally just post on social media, hey, who can teach me how to shoot? And you will, it'll be like the, so it's, it'll be like the GIF where all the hot dogs go flying in the girl's face. <laughs> Hundreds of thirsty uh, mansplaining motherfuckers will show up to teach you how to shoot a gun. Male, female, doesn't matter what, what you are. You will have volunteers to help you learn that that weaponry in Legion. Because uh, I've never seen anybody volunteer information quicker than dudes about guns. Holy shit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But that being said, if you don't know how to safely use a gun or take care of a gun, learn these things before you get a gun. Or go talk to your local Antifa super slut. She will, she will take you to class on the finer points of, of firearms maintenance management and usage. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, Sorry, Randy Tolar, if you are or not the Green Party presidential candidate for twenty twenty four, we don't mean to offend with our Antifa sentiment. <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but I actually have a story in the well-armed proletariat. Session oh, good. Today. Cool. Good. Go for it. I'm sorry. It took us down such a long time. Oh, you're, you're good. Um, upholding Hawaii law, federal court rules that no right to carry arms are that, that, okay. There is no right to carry arms openly in public. Um, that being said, um, that is in respect to an existing law in Hawaii that banned open carry. Mm. Um, basically, the NRA or some similar group tried to say that it was unconstitutional for Hawaii to say, you can't open carry here. And the federal court was like, yes, they can. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, what I don't really have... Was it a local, pro pro uh, local uh, measure? Or was it statewide? 
It was statewide, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And, well, actually, this is a ruling in response to that law, where they that chose law. to uphold okay. that law. Hmm. I mean, uh, Brady, United Against Gun Violence, President Chris Brown hailed it as a huge blow to the NRA and, quote, much-needed good news following recent high-profile gun massacres. Um, the court's opinion, authored by Judge J. Bidey, a George W. Bush appointee known for writing the former president's torture authorization memos, said, Ooh, quote, I remember that guy. I forgot all about him. Yeah, me too. I thought the name sounded familiar. Yep. He yep. said, quote, there is no right to carry arms openly in public, nor is it any such right within the scope of the Second Amendment. Um... And then Bybee said the government may regulate and even prohibit in public places, including government buildings, churches, schools, and markets, the open carrying of small arms capable of being concealed, whether they are carried concealed or openly. We have laws like this on the books in Arizona, and nobody freaks out about it being anti-gun or against the Second Amendment. And we're supposedly the most firearms-friendly state in the nation. We have constitutional carry, whether it's concealed or open. You still can't take it into a fucking church or a school right. or a fucking market or government buildings. I, I don't understand where that, like... I don't know. No, you're good. Um, Kathy said, keep justice supporters in Minneapolis and your thoughts and prayers. Just joining you now, Kathy. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I mean, a lot happened today on the court case and I thought that it was still just jury selection. So I didn't put anything in the presentation for today. Uh, but here in a second, we should probably... Uh, actually, we're at the end of the segment. We should probably look into um, what's going on in Minneapolis. Well, there was a live stream of the yeah. courtroom activities that happened all day. Plus, um, most of the networks carried the feed. So we watched George Floyd die over and over and over again uh, on national television. That was played in front of the jury, right? That is That has been submitted yeah. as evidence and yeah. accepted? Yep. And it was, I don't know if it was accepted as evidence. It better be, but it was, but it was played for the jury and it was played for the entire world. I have yep. such hard feelings about that trial, honestly. Um, <clears throat> I felt that what was going to happen was made perfectly clear when they started erecting the barricades. Oh yeah, they yes, and they were not in. They were non-trivial barricades. Yeah, there was an act of civil disobedience today. They were putting padlocks on it with uh, names. <laughs> Good of uh, all of the black men that have been killed by police. Wow, wow, man! And I, I mean, I I watched quite a bit of it. I, I would wager a guess that it was in the hundreds. Um. And that was from Unicorn Riot. That wasn't from mainstream media. They're not talking about what's going on outside on mainstream media. They're talking about the trial. Whereas Unicorn Riot generally has feeds for both, sometimes at the same time. Well, I know they carried a casket and all kinds of things. Um, 
solidarity with anybody that's out in Minneapolis right now. Yeah. Well, this yeah. time of night, there probably aren't too many out, but you know what I mean. Um, I don't know. I was actually looking to make sure that they weren't out in the streets as we speak. I mean, it is possible, but they haven't done anything stupid yet, have they? Mm, no. No, I would, I would agree that they are allowing the state to appear as the aggressor so far by the barricades and by the massive amount of blue lives present. And the fact that they're broadcasting this again, right? It, it appears that this is going to be, uh, to me, it seems like it has the capability of being another OJ level event. And if they do not rule to, uh, to convict this individual, I, I gotta believe that there's going to be repercussions. I can't. can't I mean, I'm I'm not going to try to beat around the bush here. I feel like if they make the wrong decision, Minneapolis is going to burn to the fucking ground. And not just Minneapolis; it'll spread. Oh, it'll spread, but uh, that's going to be ground zero, just like it was in yeah. May. Just like it was in May, indeed. And and we're in our second wave, and we've got two new strains that are making us all sick again. Lord have mercy. What a fucked up time. I mean, it's sad that it has to happen now, but if it if it didn't happen 50 years ago, we can't wait anymore. And I mean, I say we, but I'm not even black. I can't imagine how they feel. They see this happen over and over and over and over and over and every fucking time the white cop gets off. I feel like we are the example of how not to be a manager and govern and police ourselves and, and, and we're the antithesis of a democracy. way to put it <clears throat> no one any no any other way to put it yeah well this is uh gonna take us down a little bit brighter hole hopefully oh good good news science science i wish it wasn't copyrighted i would totally play the bill nye the science guy theme right now or 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 uh the other one blinded me yeah. Um, so new illustrations are showcasing Neanderthal's warm weather lifestyle. Um, the reason I wanted to put this in here is the reason it's big, actually. Um, so a recent discovery <clears throat> inspired uh, these drawings, or this drawing, anyway. And I'll get to that in a second. I have a picture to show. Um, Excavations in Bullimore Cave near the Mediterranean coast of what's now eastern Spain have produced evidence of trees, plants, and animals during the Neanderthal era. Oh, what I was getting to is previously it's been widely accepted that the Neanderthals primarily lived in the cold, right? Like, I mean, it's even portrayed that way in uh, uh, artist renditions and things like that. There was an Ice Age era uh, society, right? Right. Well, which this would tell me it was pre-Ice Age. They probably died out during the Ice Age. But anyway, uh, 
Insights about local plant life come largely from pollen grains and spores found in sediment layers. Hmm. Um, from Bolimar Cave, they found that Neanderthals probably ate fruit, nuts, and seeds of plants. Um, Amoro Seller, the illustrator, and her group now want to explore how these plants grew in the wild and how they look prior to evolution via farming practices the last few thousand years. Animal remains inspire other parts of the drawing, such as a Neanderthal child watching a tortoise. Tortoises were cooked and eaten along with hares, rabbits, birds, and deer. Mm. Sounds familiar, don't it? But, well, uh, yeah, and and we knew that there was... Go ahead. Oh, I like that very much. Yeah. Yeah, me too. What are you going to say, though? Go ahead. Well, we knew that genetically the, the overlap is there, right? Right. And that there are haploid groups that carry more Neanderthal DNA than do others. So we know the genetic, we don't know it, but we are aware of the genetic footprint, right? And we also are aware of the archaeological record, which this is more of. Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, the archaeological record has not been uh, great in terms of what their diet was or what their climate was like. Yeah, this is 100% like forensic anthropology, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I thought was cool about it, honestly. To be able to look through strata, find, find things, make connections, like blue clues. <laughs> Yeah. If we cultivate um, plants, so what kind? If we can date those spores, if we can even date the genetics within those plants and then correlate those to present day or other eras that there's maybe a greater uh, uh, archaeological record for or other scientific evidence, then we start to portray a picture of how they manage themselves both economically and socially, right? And, and more importantly, did we just have a great big giant, uh, 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 what is our species called? I'm drawing a blank. Homo sapien? Did we have a Homo sapien and uh, Neanderthal war? What the hell happened? You know? Yeah. I mean, are, where are they? Simple evolution? Was there some, was there some failure? Was it plague? Did they have the coronavirus or a similar problem? I mean, it could have simply been climate change, which is funny to say from our perspective, because now we're dealing with the opposite. But I mean, going into the Ice Age, they right. were not evolutionary. And a level, evolutionarily, oh my God, take three, evolutionarily um, ready for something like the Ice Age. A hundred years without sun. Yeah. So, I mean, no. I, honestly, like, it's kind of a miracle that as much life survived as it did. Or well, rather, I should say 10,000 years without sun. Um, yeah. I don't know. So that's going to so be fun to look back on in the future after we understand more about it, I think. So your Denisovians, your older haploid groups, the people that went from Ethiopia down to India those that got close as they possibly could to the equator persisted. 
kind of seems common sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it because I'm a pedestrian. Well, I mean, true, but they also, um, I mean, that was in Spain. It's not like that's super far north. Mm. True. So maybe some of them did try and then it turned into a war. Who knows? Right, right, right. Right. You're on my turf. <laughs> makes me so wonder the, how the uh, makes me wonder how the uh, four corners were even populated under those constructs. But go ahead. That is a very good question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the next story is a little more weird. <laughs> it's more uh, modern science for sure. I love um, weird stories. So they are, they have, they have successfully grown mouse embryos in bottles uh, to the point where they're forming organs and limbs. Oh, good. We're almost to the point of being able to grow chicken nuggets at the McDonald's without the chicken. (sighs) Well, I mean, I think that they're, they're using this to uh, study development and what can go wrong during said development but um, developmental scientists at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel have created a method of course it's in Israel have created a method for growing mouse embryos outside a uterus for longer than ever before took more than seven years of trial and error uh, but you can now see organs form something has been hidden by mother's body something that has been hidden by the mother's bodies rotating bottles filled with nutrients keep the mouse embryos alive from Days 5 to 11, roughly, of development, which is half of the mouse gestation period. And uh, the embryos had grown hind limbs and all major organs. Rotation of the bottles provided sufficient oxygen and atmospheric pressure. And scientists hope to extend the period of growth observations to help understand how normal development happens and how it can go wrong. Obviously, this has not been attempted on human embryos. It would violate guidance from the International Society for Stem Cell Research. But uh, look at that little guy. No? You can see the heartbeat. It's horrifying. I'm going to have nightmares about that. I mean, I don't, it, it's, I feel two ways about it. I feel two ways about it for sure. I mean, on one hand, from a scientific perspective, that's cool as hell. The fact that that's even possible is intriguing in and of itself. But can you 100%. imagine what? 100% agree. But can you imagine the ethical implications of doing that on a large scale? Or with humans, for that matter. I don't think we could handle it. (laughs) I don't think we could trust McDonald's with that technology. I would tend to agree with that. Are you going to fucking just like, are they going to like grow their own breading and everything? Why not? 
and worker and workers to to uh, sell it too. No, but right. that could what 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 I see, what what I what I notice is immediately rather than jokes about McDonald's, is the potential to uh, produce organs and i know i realize that that exists in stem cells to a certain extent but this seems to move the needle a little bit faster um uh, to grow organs new hearts new lungs uh, new limbs um that are immediately transplantable and 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 are of the same genetic material as the host so uh, lifelong uh, uh drugs in order to uh, limit rejection or not necessary things of that nature this is something that we've been striving for for a very long time and this seems like a pretty big leap towards that in my opinion so i would great news i would tend to agree and i and i mean i know that they've been working on figuring out how to like literally you know grow organs for people and understanding how development happens is the first yeah step. it's one of the holy grails right it is it's literally one of the holy grails to be able to take stem cells and 3d print a heart that's transplantable or a kidney that's transplantable. I mean, you've cured diabetes, you've cured, you've cured a great lot of heart related illnesses, right? The risk then becomes the procedure, right? What if you could grow the organ in place? I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking crazy thoughts now. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility though. This is just a hurdle we have to get over on the way. So I, I don't mean to trivialize it because it's profound. Right. Right. I mean, is it creepy? Hell yeah. But it's... <laughs> I had to make it. Oh, I had to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I ever get a chance to slam corporate America, I do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I kind of a one trick pony. Well, um, I don't know about slamming corporate America per se, but we have. Uh, well, actually, uh, we have quite a bit of excerpts today. And then, of course, we'll discuss it as we go. Um, for those that have missed previous, uh, we've covered so far the first three chapters of, um, quotations from Chairman Mao. And, um, now we're going into chapter four, which is, uh, oh shit. What was the title? <laughs> uh chapter the correct handling of contradictions among the people oh so it's today we're talking about that i thought we already talked about that maybe it was well, we, mentioned in a we mentioned it but we never read it because uh uh we had more people and we were running long that night fair what are we at right now we're going on four hours oh fuck <laughs> we were running long that night eh <laughs> yep. And at that time we were at three and a half hours, I think, and we, we bailed on the on the reading section at that point. Gotcha. Well, we'll probably cut this after this. I didn't realize we were already four over four hours. Um, but the I, I I mean most of the chapter is in these excerpts because I didn't feel like there was anything that could really be taken out. Um to understand these two different types of contradictions correctly, we must first be clear on what is meant by the people and what is meant by the enemy. At the present stage, the period of building socialism, 
The classes, strata, and social groups which favor, support, and work for the cause of socialist construction all come within the category of the people, while the social forces and groups which resist the socialist revolution, revolution and are hostile to or sabotage socialist construction are all enemies of the people. In the conditions prevailing in China today, keep in mind this is 70 fucking years ago, uh, the contradictions among the people com comprise the contradictions within the working class, the contradictions within the peasantry, the contradictions within the intelligentsia. Is that how you say that? Intelligentsia. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> the contradictions between the working class and the peasant peasantry, the contradictions between the workers and peasants on the one hand and the intellectuals on the other. The contradictions between the working class and other sections of the working people on the one hand and the national bourgeoisie on the other, the contradictions within the national bourgeoisie, and so on. Our people's government is one that genuinely represents the people's interests. It is a government that serves the people. Nevertheless, there are still certain contradictions between the government and the people. These include contradictions among the interests of the state, the interests of the collective, and the interests of the individual between democracy and centralism, between the leadership and the lead, and the contradiction arising from the bureaucratic style of work of certain government workers and the relations with the masses. All these are also uh, contradictions among the people. Generally speaking, the people's basic identity of interest underlies the contradictions among the people. I, before I go too much farther, I just remembered I wanted to put the link uh, in the chat so that way if anybody would like to follow along, um, there is a free ebook at the Marxist Internet Archives. And the link Standing. is in the comments. Okay, <laughs> moving on. In the political life of our people, how should right be distinguished from wrong in one's words and actions? On the basis of the principles of our Constitution, the will of the over overwhelming majority of our people and the common political positions which have been proclaimed on various occasions by our political parties and groups, we should consider that, broadly speaking, the criteria should be as follows. 1. Words and actions should help to unite and not divide the people of our various nationalities. 2. They should be beneficial and not harmful to socialist transformation and socialist construction. Three. They should help to consolidate and not undermine or weaken the people's democratic dictatorship. Uh, remember that in Marxist terms, a dictatorship is any government. Right now we live in that terminology under the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. I don't know about you, but I would rather have a dictatorship of the proletariat or working class. But anyway, um, I just have to make that distinction every time I come across the word dictatorship because we live in one too. Number four, they yeah. should help to consolidate and not to undermine or weaken democratic centralism. Five, they should help to strengthen and not discard or weaken the leadership of the uh, Communist Party. Six, they should be beneficial and not harmful to international socialist unity and the unity of the peace-loving people of the world. Of these six criteria, the most important are the socialist path and the leadership of the party. Um... I don't know if it's going to be touched on in this chapter or not, but he also talked drastically about how the leadership of the party could never move too far away from the people. 
Um, That's perfectly reasonable. Right. Qualitatively different contradictions can only be resolved by qualitatively different methods. For instance, the contradiction between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie is resolved by the method of socialist revolution. The contradiction between the great masses of the people and the feudal system is resolved by the method of democratic revolution. The contradiction between the colonies and imperialism is resolved by the method of national revolutionary war. The contradiction between the working class and the peasant class in socialist society is resolved by the method of collectivization and uh, mechanization in agriculture. Contradiction within the Communist Party is resolved by uh, the method of criticism and self-criticism, uh, meaning that it should be able to take and take criticism and criticize itself and actually, you know, fix the problems. Anyway, the contradiction between society and nature is resolved by the method of developing the productive forces. The principle of using different methods to resolve different contradictions is one that Marxist-Leninists must strictly observe. I guess to put it in simpler terms, what's good for the goose is not always good for the gander. I would definitely agree with that. Um, you have anything else to say about anything so far? No, I because I the la, the first session we had with this I was prepared, but this one I I was it's been thirty five years since I've read this book. <laughs> I feel that honestly, this is my first time reading it, and I wanted it to be as part of this. That's why I hadn't. Uh... Oh, Austin said in the comments earlier for that matter that his <laughs> physical copy of the right. little red book came today. Oh, good! I knew he ordered it. Yeah, I ordered uh, The State and Revolution today, so uh, I would assume that I'll be reading Lenin in the near future. That one's a bit tougher. I believe it is, and that's why I wanted to start here. I think um, it's wise. That one's a bit tougher. It's not difficult. It's not impossible. It's not like... It's not like Capital? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit. We'll we'll know that we have succeeded if we can actually like talk about capital smoothly. <laughs> I don't think uh, I, I don't think anybody can talk about capital smoothly to be honest. But but please continue. Because this is a almost like hearing it for the first time for me. So nice. Well good. <laughs> well it's it probably is somebody else's first time. I don't it know is. if I don't know if Natalie has read the little red book or I know Emily hasn't. I I know I haven't prior to this. Um, all right, so moving on. The, uh, the only way to settle questions of an ideological nature or controversial issues among the people is by democratic method, the method of discussion, of criticism, of persuasion and education, and not by the method of coercion or repression. Um, to be able to excuse me, to be able to carry on their production and studies effectively and to arrange their lives properly. The people want their government and those in charge of production and of cultural and educational organizations to issue appropriate orders of an obligatory nature. It is common sense that the maintenance of public order would be impossible without such administrative reg regulations. Administrative orders and the method of persuasion and education complement each other in resolving contradictions among the people. Even administrative regulations for the maintenance of public order must be accompanied by persuasion and education, for in many cases, regulations alone 
will not work. Mm. I feel like that paragraph has been a sticking point for a lot of right-wing people for a lot of years. Uh, you know, they always say that regulations won't work or, or that regulations are, are repressive. Um, but that's exactly what Mao was warning against. Obviously his government should have probably paid closer attention to this paragraph as well, because they did get repressive, but yeah, it got pretty weird at the end. Yeah, for sure. It remains so today, but how else do you manage that many people? I don't know, but I mean, with that kind of population, if they got rid of poverty and homelessness, No, people could make a good case that they didn't, but we're not taking, I'm not trying to take anything uh, right now outside of the context of the words on these pages. There's time to break history down and, and we can interpret people's versions of reality afterward. Well, I mean, that's part of what the idea of talking about it is for, is to kind of try to tie it to what's going on today or tie it to our own struggles, even actually that's, what the Black Panthers did, and I think that's important too. Um, contradiction and struggle are universal and absolute, but the methods of resolving contradictions, that is, the forms of struggle, differ according to the differences in the nature of the contradictions. Some contradictions are characterized by open antagonism, and others are not. In accordance with the concrete development of things, some contradictions, which were originally non-antagonistic, develop into antagonistic ones, while others which were originally antagonistic develop into non-antagonistic ones. We see that, ju just as an example, look at race in the United States. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I still want to know how the fuck it's antagonistic, but it obviously somehow is to some people. Um, in our country, uh, this is back to, you know, quotes from the book, uh, in our country, meaning China, the contradiction between the working class and the bourgeoisie belongs to the category of contradictions among the people. Largely, the class struggle between the two is a class struggle between the ranks of the people because the Chinese national bourgeoisie has a dual character. In the period of the bourgeois democratic revolution, it had both a revolutionary and a conciliationist side to its character. In the period of the socialist revolution, exploitation of the working class for profit constitutes one side of the character of the national bourgeoisie, while its support of the constitution and its willingness to accept socialist transformation constitute the other. Um, the national bourgeoisie differs from the imperialists, the landlords, and the bureaucrat capitalists. The contradiction between the national bourgeoisie and the working class is one between the exploiter and the exploited, and is by nature antagonistic. Think of uh, Jeff Bezos versus an Amazon employee. That relationship is ultimately, by nature, antagonistic uh, and exploitative. Absolutely agreed. Um, nevertheless, in the concrete conditions of China, this antagonistic class contradiction can, if properly handled, be transformed into a non-antagonistic one and be resolved by peaceful methods. 
Note that that is the first thing they said about resolving that issue, was accomplishing it through peaceful methods. That was, that was their goal. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, but that's what they were trying to do. Um, however, it will tr uh, change into a contradiction between ourselves and the enemy if we do not handle it properly, as I just said, and do not follow the policy of uniting with, criticizing, and educating the national bourgeoisie, or if the national bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie sorry, does not accept this policy of ours. Um, which ultimately the latter, I think, is probably what happened. Uh, I'm willing to bet that the bourgeoisie did not want to give up their money and power. And they still don't. Exactly. And I, I think that that's why these revolutions even turned violent. All of them wanted peace. All of them did. I mean, from what I can see. I mean, Lenin, Lenin as I understand it, in the State and Revolution talked about how a revolution was a violent act, yes. And, I mean, Mao made that same point here. But they also make, uh, make their point that they wanted it to be resolved through peaceful methods. Um, anyway, the counter-revolutionary rebellion in Hungary in 1956 was a case of reactionaries inside a socialist country in league with the imperialists, attempting to achieve their conspiratorial aims by taking advantage of contradictions among the people to for, uh, foment dissension and stir up disorder. The lesson mm. of the Hungarian events merits attention. Um, I actually don't know much about the 1956 rebellion in Hungary. I've never heard of it prior to reading this when I was putting this together. I, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Natalie, glad you warned about Capital. I have heard some recommendations to read first. The reason people recommend it to read first is because that's where it all fucking comes from, ultimately. Um, but there's, what, four volumes or five volumes of Capital? Something like that. And they're all 400 plus pages. And the, the vernacular he uses is very difficult to, to struggle with, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, I think it's a good read. I, I don't, I'm not saying that everybody should go out and read all fucking four volumes. 974 pages, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, but you can probably open up capital to almost any page and find a passage that you can fit to your daily life. At least that's been my experience. Of course, I haven't literally flipped every page. <laughs> but anyway, um, does anybody in the comments have any questions? Or Dean, do you have anything to say? I think with a lot of works such as this, it's, it's easy to, I mean, very similar to large uh, religious texts. It's just about ambiguous enough to take and apply to everyday life. You can almost find a situation whereby even in your own like little uh, small group sociology or politics politics at work you can apply some of the tenets of this thing it's like how um the mbas came out of uh, college and read the art of war and immediately started to conquer wall street in the 80s you know fueled by cocaine you know it's a poor analogy but i mean was it the cocaine or was it the art of war <laughs> probably 
cocaine. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, shit. Oh, God. No, anyway, uh, Natalie, I, I recommend small doses of capital, but don't just crack it at page one and start without any without any background. Um, it's the uh, as I was saying, the vernacular he uses is very difficult to to take. Yeah, in. yeah, you have to get an annotated version, and because then it's like reading, it's a lot like reading Joy James Joyce or some similarly ponderous work, and you have to constantly. Uh, uh, you have to constantly uh, look up uh, these colloquialisms that don't really make sense anymore. Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, in that note, it's almost like reading Shakespeare. Yeah, kind of. I'd have to agree. Except for a little more profound. <laughs> so uh, we're we're getting close to the end here, Dean. We've almost made it. Huh. Well, um, here we are. Here we are. Don Good News Hughes is not here to give us the good news today. They're driving. Yeah, I know. Doesn't mean I'm not going to talk shit. He might hear this later. Please uh, feel free and uh, uh, I will join you, perhaps. <laughs> so, uh... And I hope you give me the same treatment when I'm absent. <laughs> March 25th, 2021, Bindi Irwin had a baby. Um, for those that don't know who Bindi Irwin is, I can't imagine there's very many people my age. She is the daughter of uh, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Um, she named her daughter Grace Warrior Irwin Powell. Um, obviously, leaving Irwin as a middle name is a tribute to her father, as is uh, as his warrior. You know, because he was a wildlife warrior. Um, I got some pictures, actually. Hold on. Check that out. And, and also, cool. check out how much Steve Irwin's son on the far right here. Look at how much he looks like fucking Steve Irwin. That's kind of bananas. That is, that is insane. But, uh... Yeah. No, I, uh... I felt like this was a piece of good news that people of my generation need. The crocodile hunter legacy lives on. You uh, have any closing statements to make, Dean? Uh, no, other than uh, if you've made it to the end, uh, we are grateful for your tenacity. Your, your tenacity seems to be a recurring theme today. Thank you guys for bearing with us. This was a long one. <laughs> um, join us on Thursday for the trial of the Chicago 7. Um, if you do not have access on Netflix, reach out. Somebody will will help, help you figure it out. Um, That'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, April 1st. Find us all over social media. Most importantly, find us at our website, www.forwearemanya.org. Um, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash forwearemany. Find us on TikTok at forwearemanypodcast. Uh, SoundCloud, I still haven't removed from here. I don't know why. Find us on YouTube. 
I believe that's for We Are Many Podcast as well. Instagram for We Are Many Podcast. Twitter at For We Are Many 2. Facebook, we have a page. We have the support group. We have the mutual aid support group. Or mutual aid organizing group, rather. And um, if you know anybody that wants to join us on the air or try to uh, help us find things to talk about or uh, put articles on our website if you're running for president for the National Green Party, if you are you want, a candidate, <laughs> and you want to shame me for my Antifa for lovers, is for lovers background. Yeah, I noticed you changed it. What's up with that? It's a Chicago Seven. Mm. Yeah, the real ones, not the movie ones. Yeah, not the movie ones, right? Yeah. I mean, actually, it looks like they did the casting pretty well for the, for the most part. I know it's kind of bananas how they how they did that. That's that's pretty fair. That's pretty. Join fair. us, join us as we as we take a journey into the Sorkinverse on <laughs> Thursday. All right, everybody, have a great night. Uh, very nice very nice well that blows apart the notion that I thought we could uh, you and I could run a tight hour and a half podcast man. <laughs> holy shit dude how do I awesome. stop the stream I know I did it before ah that's how I figured it out